Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Deadpool. Hey, yeah, I wanna shoot. Kind of lonesome back here. Little help here. Oh. Excuse me. Woo. Dopinda. Pool. Dead. Why the fancy red suit, Mr. Pool? Oh, that's because it's Christmas Day, Dopinda. And I'm after someone on my naughty list. You're probably thinking, this was a superhero movie, but that guy in the suit just turned that other guy into a fucking kebab. Surprise, this is a different kind of superhero story. To tell it right, we gotta take you back before I squeeze this ass in spandex. Mr. Wilson, you've recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. We can fight this. What if I told you we can cure you and give you abilities most men only dream of? I'd say that you sound like an infomercial, but not a good one, like Slap Chop, more Shake Weighty. If I never see you again, know that I love you. When I'm finished, your mutated cells will heal anything. But you still think we're making you a superhero? We're making you a super slave. Oh, come on. You're gonna leave me all alone here with Jose Canseco? Whatever they did to me made me totally indestructible and completely no. Unfuckable. You you look like the inside of other people's assholes. I didn't ask to be super, and I'm no hero. But when you find out your worst enemy is after your best girl, the time has come to be a fucking superhero. <laughs> ah, right up Main Street. Hear the music. We can't allow this, Deadpool. I don't have time for your X-Men bullshit, Colossus. Besides, nobody's getting hurt. That guy was up there before we got here. Knock, knock, open I played a lot of roles. Damsel in distress ain't one of them. Time to make the chimmy fucking changas. Have you seen this man? I never say this, but don't swallow. Shit. Did I leave the stove on? Yeah, you're way too much dude for me. That's why I brought him. I mean, that's why I brought her? Oh no, finish your tweet. It's not, that's fine, just give us a second. Go get her, tiger. Oh, I so pity the dude who pressures her into prom sex. I am Alex Shaw. With me are my co-host Sharon Shaw. Hello. From Magic the Gathering podcast, The Manor Pool, Jason Chewy Slate. That's like 16 walls. Co-host of The Overlords, Kieran Datchler. Yeah. Wow, you've done research. I, I <laughs> don't know why I expected anything else. Zombie survival parkour instructor, Jesse Ferguson. I'm going to fucking spell it out for you. <laughs> and Kurt Russell enthusiast Brendan Agnew. I'm touching myself tonight. Is that just because I mentioned Kurt Russell? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna st- it's not nighttime right now, is it? It's night somewhere in the world. <laughs> I think that's possible. Okay, yeah. Okay, you guys are going to have to just touch yourselves for 10 minutes because I'm going to start with the steel <laughs> and then we're going to get to the jawboning. Okay, because here is a movie that could have gone so very wrong came out of nowhere and surprised the hell out of us 
all by being great. We weren't even going to review it. We weren't even going to go see it. This was like a, a Mad Max Fury Road thing for us. We were like, eh, yeah, okay, that'll be quite good. And then it turned out like it was a, no, you've you got to see this type situation. Uh, and then it proceeded to break all kinds of box office records as a high-scoring, super successful, R-rated B-movie blockbuster. This is a film that massages the prostates of 90s teenagers. Or do women have prostates? No. Okay, then it massages the collective clitorati of the assembled and surprisingly robust female audience of 90s teenagers as well. At this very moment, while Ryan Reynolds reclines on an enormous pile of Benjamins and ringing telephones, Hollywood executives are trying to pull off a chaotically synchronized juggling act between trying to work out why this R-rated superhero movie is doing so well and fund new projects according to those findings. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn went on a Facebook rampage over the weekend decrying the oversimplified assessments, in particular that, th- that this film was finally a Marvel superhero movie that could laugh at itself. As Gunn said, what was Iron Man? What was Avengers? What was Ant-Man? And yes, what was Guardians of the Galaxy? A sleeper hit in its own right, which had execs frantically trying to reshape their slates in true Hollywood copycat style. I feel like, I want to say Sinister Six, but that was the other failed, um, like, bad guy movie. Uh, What's it called? Suicide Squad. I feel like Suicide Squad's going to be the movie that has a trailer that copies Guardians of the Galaxy and very soon a hastily edited together final trailer that copies Deadpool. On the other end, you have a small contingent of long-time Deadpool fans. The ones who are actively angry that so many newcomers love their anti-hero. Not all Deadpool fans, obviously, but some Deadpool fans. This is like Shins fans, post-Garden State. This was their thing, and they don't want to see the mainstream co-modification of it. In effect, they wanted this movie to fail, or at least do moderately, attaining a cult status so that they could still feel special for appreciating it. I'm the polar opposite. I wish that Flight of Dragons was known to more people, and that the Iron Giant, Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, and yes, Deadpool. These aren't our toys, they're everyone's. The tragedy behind the sublime cult hit, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, being discovered on video wasn't the sequel, The Spy Who Shagged Me, spawning a tidal wave of Austin and Dr. Evil Halloween costumes, as well as countless rubbish impressions. It wasn't the mainstreaming of it. It was the fact that the second movie became self-indulgent and lazy, with its stars now allowed to do whatever they wanted, frequently to only their own amusement. The third film was disgracefully unfunny and self-indulgent, and it is this dark possible future that Deadpool now faces. Or at least Team Deadpool, and whoever Fox nominate to push this spin-off franchise forward. His greatest enemy is that people think he's awesome now. He has to remember that he is awesome here, not because he's Deadpool, because this could have gone so wrong in so many ways, and it could have been a dreadful, juvenile, and unrelatable shit show. but because of tight writing from the real heroes, surprisingly genuine performances, and lean storytelling that never treated its audience like idiots and this is something that james gunn pointed out that's why it succeeds this goes for anyone successful in comedy just every time it seems like you might be a genius go back and watch the kevin spacey and tom cruise cameos at the beginning of gold member shudder have a little guilty wank and go rewrite
Angel of the Morning. While this might seem like an amusingly sweet song to juxtapose with a moment of obscene violence frozen in time for the intro sequence, while the credits claim, produced by some douchebags, written by the real heroes, think about it for a second. Think about the lyrics to this song. It is from the point of view of a lady who is left sleeping by a man who walks out of her life. It's about her being kept perfect in his mind as he walks away. It's absolutely emblematic of the softer, sweeter side of this filthy movie. Fans of the canon and the complicated shared universe movie timeline that even screenwriter-producer Simon Kinberg doesn't entirely understand, listen up. To bring us back to Wade Wilson's first appearance in this movie franchise, X-Men Origins Wolverine, it featured a smart-mouthed merc with twin katanas who chopped bullets in half. It's a dismal, dreary, stupid movie and features a stuntman in sweatpants at the end with arm blades, eye beams and his mouth sewn shut. A literal mutilation of the character. Now, on one level, we can all thank Simon Kinberg for X-Men Days of Future Past, which rewrote X-History so that this film doesn't have to happen in current continuity and can exist in a former continuity. On another, we can use our brains. Examine the fact that the events of X-Men Origins Wolverine took place in alternate 1979 with a teenage Cyclops and a young Professor X and Wade appearing to be about the same age as the new version 37 years later. Now pass that through a filter of executive bullshit and you'll find a series of events that literally could never have happened in either the original timeline or the new one altered in 1973 by a time-travelling Wolverine from the dark 2023 at the end of the first reality. Since that Wade in Origins was in his 20s when the timeline changed, and this Wade we see in Deadpool wasn't born until, uh, let's say, 1976, the same year as Reynolds, it's safe to say either he's Wade Wilson Sr.'s child, or that that Origins shit could be chucked out of the continuity window. This also depends on the upcoming Gambit movie, if that somehow conforms to the Origins timeline by having Channing Tatum's gumbo-chewing Cajun swaggering around in the 80s, then we have to dredge the Wade Wilson Sr. theory back out of the bin, scrape away the congealed pizza, and accept Origins as prior canon again. However, if he's modern day, then go back to the Origins is bunkum mode of thought. In terms of actual comic book origins, this is a rare Marvel character that's now going to be hugely popular despite being created long after the Silver Age. So after the period of super creativity where Stan Lee, in conjunction with a whole bunch of other fantastic artists and writers, created all of the Marvel characters that we know and love, aside from Wolverine and Luke Cage and Blade. Much like Jessica Jones in that respect, actually. There really aren't that many new characters that people know. Uh, he actually has a really underwhelming beginning, created as one of three new antagonists to be thrown at the New Mutants uh, for New Mutants episode 98 of 100, shortly before they became X-Force, once muscular, cannon-toting, belt-festooned, muscle-bound, telekinetic cyborg old man, Cable, turned up from the future. This was 1990, the era of over-designed, super-badass characters that were basically just a hyper-aggressive grab bag of everything kids seemed to like in those days. Guns, swords, ninjas, cyborgs, time-travellers, Batman and Wolverine. 
by and large, any actual character was either an accident or something added by better writers later on. So it was with Deadpool, just a nasty ninja version of Spider-Man with guns and swords who was rather talkative. On the one hand, that's how Rob Liefeld remembers it, after being taunted by Todd McFarlane, who was drawing Spider-Man at the time, and espousing the benefits of only having a blank mask to draw. Meanwhile, if you take any comic by Rob Liefeld, you'll notice that all these squinting, angry, pinch faces look exactly the same, male or female, hence Deadpool was Spidey. Writer Fabian Nesaiza maintains he noticed the similarity to Deathstroke, Slade Wilson from DC Comics, although Liefeld was and remains so derivative in his creations it's likely he didn't even notice himself. It fell to Ed McGuinness and Joe Kelly to reinvent the character in the mid-90s as the more oddball Merc with the mouth, and throughout the late 90s he began to break the fourth wall and become the character we see in the movie, Bugs Bunny with Swords. In the 21st century, new writers, including Daniel Way, began to explore the character, looking at why there appeared to be different voices in his head. This was alongside rumblings from Fox about a spin-off movie after the execrable appearance in Origins, in which, after his first appearance, they pretty much got the character as wrong as it's humanly possible to get a character wrong. If he appeared at the end, just Ryan Reynolds, in a tutu, flipping Wolverine the bird, he would have been more accurate to Deadpool. Somehow, despite all reason, all evidence against its likelihood, Fox actually invested a modest amount of money, seven years after that first time, in the talented creative team of director Tim Miller, writers Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, and Reynolds himself, for whom this was both a passion project and a valiant attempt to set right a decade of almost being a star, but ultimately featuring in entirely rubbish films that left Green Lantern dead in the space water and Deadpool in development hell. You may be wondering why the red suit. Well, that's so bad guys can't see me bleed. This guy's got the right idea. He wore the brown pants. Hear the music. Why does this film works so well just give us a big old list of reasons because it's it's unadulterated awesome oh, oh, oh. without resorting to superlatives that's one of the old rules chewy you must have heard was, those ones wait was was is unadulterated uh how about it's un undiluted awesome uh, you're gonna need to go into more detail than that just uh, tell him it's interesting chewy ah! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay. I don't want him to reach through my computer and hit me in the head. You can say superlative, but you've got to show your workings out. We, I think we started okay. this on the Avengers episodes. Here, here's something that, that I I realized not long after I saw the movie. It's every dumb 80s movie ever with much better jokes, much better writing, and better white a much karate. cleverer take. Do what? Better white guy karate. Uh, well... I guess CGI guy karate, sure. Yeah. But he's a white CGI guy, so it's... Uh, <laughs> we don't know for sure that he doesn't have a mullet under that mask. But but the, the basic story is, you know, here's a guy, he loves a girl, and some bad things happen to him, and he's out to get the guy who did the bad things to him, and then the bad guy kidnaps his girl. Name an 80s action movie that isn't. That's everything from the Commando to Beverly Hills Cop. Well, the kidnapped girl could also be a kidnapped kid. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. He gets both the girl kidnapped and significant the kid. other of some sort. Yeah. 
I think part of why it works so well is it's that beautiful line between it, it's dumb, but it's not stupid. It's puerile, it's goofy, but it's actually very well assembled and it never treats the audience like they're stupid. It's it's kind of like a you know a cherry bomb going off at a frat party at just the right time, and it's it's like you know like she said it's it's actually very reminiscent of 80s movies that everyone's familiar with. It's very much taking the piss out of superhero movie conventions. Uh, there's one particular joke involving Angel Dust that I just cannot stop laughing at, and it's really sweet underneath all of the profanity. I would put it down to the performances, honestly, as much as anything else. You can tell watching the movie that every single person involved absolutely loves the fact that they're there and would not want to be anywhere else at that moment. One of the best parts about it was seeing the way the uh, Deadpool's mask actually moved and communicated things that are impossible for a mask to actually do, Mm. but didn't look obviously fake and it just kind of helped really sell the cartoonish nature of a lot of what was going on particularly with uh, Ryan Reynolds performance he's right his mask did emote better than some actors in other X-Men movies (laughs) (laughs) which actors um I mean just oh just anyone from uh, the Origins movie let's say yeah I think Reynolds performance is a huge linchpin of this absolutely massive um, the the comedy timing, it would have taken somebody very specific to be able to pull this off, frankly. Um, and it had to be somebody who um, was very committed to the material, which he was. Um, and also a lot of, of what you're saying about the, the emoting with the mask and all the rest of it. That's, that's body performance, that's head tilts, that's shoulder stances, that's somebody who can communicate with more than just his face. I believe they're also using some CGI to, with the eyes specifically. I think they've done some CGI things to make it actually be able to change expression slightly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they narrowed a little bit from time to time, didn't they? Yeah, the brow raise. They. Mm. It's something that we haven't really seen with Spider-Man, but they do in the Spider-Man comics all the time. Is his mask actually shifts? Yeah, I mean the um, wh- one of the things that actually makes Spider-Man super expressive in the uh, comics. Uh, and uh, an animated shows is that uh, changing mask, and it's it's possibly one of the th- been one of the disconnects for me from all five Spider-Man movies because you've just got those like like blank staring sunglasses eyes. My understanding was they actually mocapped Ryan Reynolds doing that, and then went back in and uh, rigged that up and moved the uh, so they were using his facial performances throughout uh, they were just coming going in and doing it in post-production if that's the case that's brilliant speaking of post-production when it comes to um it it's sort of an interesting thing that i've noticed watching <clears throat> watching a few animes is that when it's a when it's more of a comedy focused thing the whole face obscured moment gives a lot more freedom to just kind of try out a bajillion jokes and only pick the ones that work after a lot of testing and then put them in afterwards without losing anything in the actual performance. It gives you a lot more freedom for the construction of good comedy out of it. It also gives you the ability to exaggerate things if you need to for that performance. You can make the eyes look bigger than a normal human could. Something that was touched on a few minutes ago but never explored, it really makes fun of all of the the superhero movie tropes. And I love superhero movies. 
I always have. I've been reading comics since I was a wee thing, but I'm getting sick of superhero movies because there's 18 coming out every year. And there's four, four coming out every year. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And in a, in a, a childhood where I would have killed to see these things where there were none coming out every mm. year, there, there's too many now. <laughs> well, you just don't see the ones you don't want to see. It's not a problem. I can't. <laughs> I can't. My, my mom is like, we're going to see this. Well, right? then blame like, the yes, mom. I'm 30. I'm 35, and I'm like, yes, mom, we're going to go see Spider-Man, whatever, whatever. But uh, I think it comes at a time when lots of people are like, oh, look, another superhero movie. I'm not alone in this. I might be oh, alone no, no, on the no. call. Yeah, but- you're not alone in it at all, but you are with a giant group of people that I find tiresome in that regard. <laughs> is, is it time for us to abandon superhero movies? Yeah, maybe. As soon as the box office starts dropping off, that's when we're actually abandoning superhero movies. But no. are there other films that are being dumped in st- to make room for these superhero movies? I, I, y- Is my kind of perspective. If you on go it. to, um, sorry, I, I will like send it straight back your way, um, Chewie. One second, but this is this is actually very important because um, there will be execs out there going. But that's it. I've seen so many think pieces about, you know, we're tired of superhero movies. Clearly, Deadpool is the shakeup that we need. And there is actually some truth in that. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's my point. Lots of people are, are to the point where it's like, oh, look, another whatever, hmm. whatever. Let's not run it into the ground. And Deadpool makes, makes fun of that and hits all of the notes that in a normal superhero movie, people uh, would sort of sigh at, like, oh, okay, they're doing this again. Another origin story. But Daredevil takes the piss out of it in such a great way that it, it's, it's refreshing. I know he's got a red suit. <laughs> Deadpool, Deadpool. Sorry, I was I looked over there. You're thinking of Dead Deadpool. <laughs> That's okay. You movie Bob did that in his review, too. <laughs> you can't see the... It's an oversimplification to uh, to say that people are tired of superhero movies, and thus uh, this the, the lampooning of them really works in this. Ultimately, people people are tired of by the numbers movies, and that goes across all genres. And by the numbers stuff is really held to account in this movie. One of the reasons it works so well, though, is that it it comes from a place of affection. It comes from a group of people who are clearly um, very much enamoured of superhero comics and superhero movies. And if it was just a case of we're sick of these and we want to um, to take the mickey out of them, I don't think it would work anywhere near so well. The fact that it has the confidence to, to play its own story, not just play the humour, um, gives it a kick to it that it, it would have been... It, I don't think it would have been anywhere near as successful. Yeah, it. if all it had done is, is say, hell, check it out, we got a, a big bad villain who's going to try and destroy the city with his doomsday device, and that had pretty much been it, that's ex- like that's the oversimplification. That's the, the, the assumption that, uh, that this is only doing well because it's poking fun. Um, well, I wasn't saying that that was oh, no, no, the no. only I, reason the, it did well. No, the, the, because what was that terrible superhero movie or something stupid uh, like that did that and no one cared? Yeah. It's exactly, yeah. Did they actually make one of them? Yeah, it's called Superhero I, Movie. It's, it's basically a parody. Oh, is it really? It oh, that's awful. It's, uh, I thought that was Epic Movie. No, no, no. It's a, that, that one does have Superman in it. But uh, this one specifically parodies Spider-Man. Um, and, but, okay, 
But, okay, right. Two things. One, um, sorry, Chewie, I'm not getting on your case about this. It's it's more just the uh, that this has been a grand assumption that's been thrown out across Twitter, and I'm challenging that. You're just the one who brought it up. Um, yeah. But the the other thing is that Kickass came out like 2010, was it? And then Kickass Two, and and those were successful movies, and those did exactly the same as what Deadpool has done, uh, pretty much across the board. And I'm wondering what the difference is. I think, well, has anyone seen Blazing Saddles? Yeah. Okay. I <laughs> don't want not? to say, yeah, I don't want to say that Deadpool is anywhere near as good, but I think it comes at a similar time in that we've become very familiar with what's going on. We're more familiar with superheroes now than we were in 2010 as a culture, True. because basically you had Avengers just explode everything in 2010. True. Kick-Ass and, was parodying um, the Raimi Spider-Man films, which is like exactly. the, the first generation superhero movies. And the other thing is that Deadpool, it, it feels like Kick-Ass is kind of an indictment of superheroes in sort of the same way that Watchmen is, mm-hmm. in, coming from very different you know, places. But they're, they're very much the same in that they both go, superheroes are just kind of fucked up to begin with, whereas Deadpool still feels like a celebration, even though it's doing things like the, oh, look, here's the impractical female outfit, and she literally pops out of it during the movie. Isn't that funny? <laughs> but... But it's still coming from a place of love. It, it likes its source material as opposed to, you know, sort of really ripping it apart. And so the audience feels like, like they're responding to it more because the audience who also likes the source material feels like, oh, yeah, we can get in on the joke, but we don't have to dislike these things that we still like. It's the difference between laughing with and laughing at. Bingo. Yeah. Also, I think Kick-Ass was... It, it was more sending up superheroes themselves, whereas Deadpool is sending up the superhero genre. Also, actually, yeah, Kick-Ass was, was uh, sending up people who want to be superheroes more than superheroes. It was vigilantism. It was almost taking a look at those people who wander around in Kick-Ass-style costumes, like Phoenix Jones, uh, sort of like keeping the streets clean. And the, uh, I suppose, the mentality that that requires of a person. Plus, Kick-Ass wasn't terribly funny. It's, it definitely has its moments, and we're probably going to review it at, at times, but uh, it sure as hell wasn't as funny as Deadpool. Also, uh, Kick-Ass, here's the interesting thing. Deadpool's full of what should be horrible people, and for some reason um, I, I found myself really you know, caring about m- many of the uh, characters. Kick-Ass is full of horrible people, and I found myself not caring about most of the characters, apart from Hit-Girl. She's awesome. Most of the characters in Deadpool, though, yes, they're they're horrible people, but they're fully realized horrible people. So as you get to know them, you can see that they they do terrible things, but they're not actually that horrible. Some of them are. Some of them aren't fully realized either, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. Um, but the people like Wade and Vanessa and uh, Weasel and Blind Al, these are people that you immediately are able to get a sense of who they are, what they want, what they like, and they are able to represent that, those relationships. Um, Do you mean in the sense that they have um, very definite lives outside their, their 
superhero inverted commas activity so yes although like your typical superhero movie if indeed these days there is such a thing it's very focused on the superhero activity and you know who they have to go up against and all that kind of thing whereas with deadpool um as i would actually compare it to um jessica jones you've got lives going on these people may have powers but they don't necessarily want to have to use them all the time they're just getting on with stuff and as colossus himself points out it's a series of moments that are the superhero bits the rest of it is just you living your life I would maintain uh, as well that um, the superhero side of it, despite the fact that oh, people are so sick of superhero movies. Um, sorry, I'm not doing you there, Chewie. I'm doing the internet. <laughs> and it's mid, you know 50 think pieces a day that come out with, oh, but, but, but are superhero movies done? Um, because we want them to be done so we can talk about something else. You know, because Black Swan is losing all of its, uh, you know, its box office to Batman be, uh, Begins. Uh, like specifically referencing like the beginning of when superhero movies started getting really good. Good idea, Alex. Uh, excellent. That was a really relevant reference. Well, I mean, Kung Fu Panda 3 lost a lot of its revenue to Deadpool. Dude, yeah, actually, um, bad movies are losing box office. So Zoolander 2, which has been terribly reviewed, is losing all its box office to a good film that's gotten great reviews. It's a, it's a terrible state of affairs. I would maintain the superhero elements of it, the mutant power elements of it, are almost incidental. This actually has more in common with a 1998 film called Payback, starring Mel Gibson, you know, a former not terrible racist um, <laughs> and misogynist and crazy man. Um, but uh, yeah, just it's the idea of sort of like grimy criminals doing grimy criminal things. One guy gets completely screwed over and then goes to get payback. That's your kind of revenge movie. That's not a superhero movie. And uh, while it kind of um, replicates rather than entirely sending up, I mean, ultimately, it's one thing to say, oh, you know, check it out. This uh, she's about to do a superhero landing. It's terrible for the knees. She still did the superhero landing. You just you are still basically repeating these beats and saying that you're doing them. It's satire, but it's not attempting to entirely subvert the tropes. So you've still got the, um, the, the damsel in distress, the princess being uh, kidnapped. She's still stuck and Deadpool still has to get her out of it. She does do a little bit of um, stuff which gives her agency, but it's not turning those tropes on their heads like other movies are now. But I would say part of that um, is actually, it, it ties in with my personal pet theory, which is that um, Deadpool, it, it's not so much that he knows he's in a comic book movie as that he thinks he's in a comic book movie. Um, and that he's, he's interacting with those things in a way that he can wryly observe that those things are going on, but he can't change them. He can't stop the villain doing the superhero landing he can't prevent the kidnap of the girl or anything like that all he can do is is ultimately go with it and kind of wink at the the audience which could feasibly all be in his head as he goes along you'll notice he doesn't talk which, to the audience before the actual process he goes through which suggests that if it is something in his head it was caused by that yeah, which, I mean, if he is such a, a geek and a comic book fan before it happens, which we know he is from the way he behaves and the things he's interested in, um, do you think that kind of intense trauma could potentially cause your brain to 
separate out what's going on, what's happening to you and, and say to yourself, actually, you know what? I don't need to worry about this because I'm just in a comic book movie. I do think that's probably his coping mechanism. And we see that be something he sort of makes a mission statement um, when they're about to start all the tests is senses of humor don't usually survive this. We'll see. And then we see his sense of humor evolve when he basically becomes Deadpool to what you're talking about is this sense of detachment of the, I'm not really here. This isn't really happening to me. This is happening to a character in a movie, which is why I can deal with all of these horrible things that my body was subjected to. Mm, absolutely. And I think for, for me, one of the things that really made this great, and this is going to sound a little bit weird, considering the amount of swearing and sex, etc. But this felt like a Marvel movie. They could take this out and go, you know what, this is in Marvel canon, and I would believe them. I would accept that. You'd accept it doubly if you notice that the uh, ship at the end is a downed helicarrier. <laughs> <gasps> totally is. Yep. The concept artist was asked mm. to make it a departure from the MCU one, but it's still totally a helicarrier. Nice. And that guy, Bob, that he meets and then goes, hey, Bob, and then headbutts, uh, works for Hydra. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Technically nice. not a character Fox were allowed to use, but they did anyway. Um, okay, so that's uh, question one done. What does this film do well? It's uh, 42 minutes in. Only 17 questions left. Let's settle in. Um, question two. What doesn't it do? Basically, what could it have been? Shitty? Yes. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. Shitty is another superlative. It's just movie? a backward superlative. Well, it could have been a lot less actually uh, emotionally honest than it is. Like if the entire movie were a joke, I don't think it would work as well as, as it does. But it has a real emotional core to it that, that Marina Bachman and Ryan Reynolds sell the hell out of. And that kind of drives the whole movie. And if that wasn't there, if everything were just the dick jokes and the fourth wall breaking, yeah. I don't think it would resonate as much with people. Can anyone think of a film where it is basically just dick jokes? Something like maybe not necessarily fourth wall break. Okay. Uh, Sabotage. <laughs> Written by... Um, Oh, what's his name? Skip Woods. Same. David Ayer? No, yeah, oh. that's directed by David Ayer, the guy who's doing uh, Suicide Squad. So, mm. uh, But written by um, Skip Woods, the guy who wrote X-Men Origins Wolverine. Horrible, misogynistic garbage. He had a talent for making up making up names, though. Oh, yes. Nick. Grinder. Grinder. Let's <laughs> monster. <laughs> Tinder, Tinder, Flickr, Grindr, Twitter. Uh, okay, right. So what, what doesn't it do? Also action. Like it's actually really only like two and a bit action sequences the whole way through. Um, and it could have just been relentless, just going on and on and on and on. And it, That's true. Uh, I didn't feel exhausted when I came yeah. out. Have you, you also played the, uh, the Daredevil uh, game? Daredevil. I did it again. <laughs> Every time I have to move Deadpool, that. instead of Deadpool now, you have to do a forfeit. <laughs> okay. Or or it's just part of the drinking game. Just just lay just lay one testicle on the desk, and then if you do it twice, you're gonna lay both testicles. <laughs> okay, Don't let me try that again. Third time. Has anyone played Has anyone played the Deadpool game? Why no, Chewie, we have not. Well, the High Moon it, Studio one. That's the one. Uh yeah, the one yeah. from last year or the year before. It's, uh, it, back, yeah. it could have been more like Deadpool the game, mm. 
and been just wacky for wacky's sake and poking fun of movies in general and been horribly, horribly misogynistic. But they didn't do that. I've been avoiding it because I I didn't want to tire of the character before the movie. Which is a shame because... That was probably a good idea. Yeah, isn't it? um, Yeah. uh, What's his name? Fuck. Nolan Nolan North. North. It's Nolan North in the character. And I adore Nolan North's very short, uh, brief appearance in Hulk vs. Wolverine as uh, the, the first ever animated Deadpool and um, yeah, he, he's splendid in that. Well, Great fun, even though it is PG thirteen stuff. The first ever misogynistic moments aside, it's quite sorry, sorry, Chewie, go on. Oh, I was just saying the first ever voiced animated. Oh, we, where else has he been? Has he been in a game or something? Uh, he popped up in uh, the original X Men series a few times as like a cameo. Oh, really? Sort of morph turned into him once, that sort of thing. Okay. Wasn't he in one of the Marvel vs. Capcom movies, or games, too? Yeah, yeah, he was in Marvel vs. Capcom 3, this time played by Nolan North again. Yeah. yeah. He's great. Oh, voice acting note for the actual game. Uh, do you know they chose to voice Cable? Uh, Stephen Lang? I used to. Peter Cullen. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Oh, wow. It was so good. I mean, the misogyny... Admittedly, there are problems with that game's comedy in several areas on the misogynistic side, mm-hmm. But a lot of it is genuinely very funny, and Cullen is a fantastic straight man to Deadpool. That's what I was thinking, because, I mean, we could talk yeah. about Cable a bit now if you want, because that's obviously who, what we're going to be doing with Deadpool 2. He does need to be a really good straight man. And while Stephen Lang has been campaigning, looks exactly the part, he's not funny. Uh, you know, when you watch him in Avatar, he's just horrible in Avatar. He's just a great, big, horrible man. And I'm sure Stephen Lang is, is much more fun than that. But um, that's pretty much everything we've, we've seen him in. Who who would you guys want for, for like, someone that this Deadpool could drive nuts but would manage to keep his dignity? And also, the here's rock. the thing, because, hang on, before we carry on, this is a cable that has to go on. Like, he's a cable that, like, is going to be defined by Deadpool now rather than his appearance after X-Men Apocalypse. Now, I, I predicted to Sharon that basically if Deadpool hadn't been awesome and C- Cable had been like the next Wolverine, because um, Gambit's rather flighty, uh, he would have sort of come in and gone, my dead parents from the future, I shall get Apocalypse. And he'd have been like really super dramatic. But we're going to get an entirely different Deadpool version of Cable now. Go. The Rock. <gasps> yes. I mean, if you've seen the rundown, yes. that's basically Cable and Deadpool already. You know what? I am spanking myself for not thinking of that. Well done. Well done. You just, you just. I actually have to give credit. Right <laughs> well, I have to give credit to Scott Wampler, who writes for Birth Movies All Death, right. because he mentioned it first. But yeah, that. That means we get a Rock in the Marvel Universe uh, of sorts. <laughs> Yeah, we've already got a Batista. We can start decking it out with... Uh, well, there was a Triple H in Blade, if you're going to count that in Marvel. Uh-huh. I mean, we, we could just stock up with a load of wrestlers. Would that be Blade Trinity, the one with Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a soft spot for that film, but that's purely down to the Ryan Reynolds performance in was tri- Who was Triple H so, in that? Uh, he was just one of the kind of big, dumb enforcer guys. The one with the vampire pom- Pomeranian. They could have gotten... Yeah. Um, the Undertaker to play the Dracula guy. 
the Dracula guy. That's how Which much Dracula he's not guy? actually Dracula. In, Dra- in Blade Trinity, <laughs> the big bad vampire at the end of that, Drake, I believe his name is, is basically supposed to be Dracula. Oh, yeah, played by the same guy who played, uh, what's it, the, um, the oh. pyro guy in the Flash series. Yeah, almost certainly. Um, yeah, that, that was a steaming pile of hogwash, although Ryan Reynolds was admittedly the best thing in it. That was supposed. Why does he always have swords in Marvel I movies? What is that about? I think about? he just basically presses with swords all day long. He's like, I got, I got this going on. Do you want to do this? It's on his CV. I'm, I'm looking at Cinema Blend. They've Stephen Lang's at the top. They obviously Stephen Lang actively wants the role. He's campaigning for it. He works out. He looks the, exactly the part. Ron Perlman has been cited. He's getting on a bit. But my God, can he do mm. comedy? And he's like, you know, like yeah, just oh, yeah. that sort of lantern jaw. You're looking at something, friend. That kind of uh, thing that Ron Perlman could do. I love him to death. One of the great straight mans would have unfortunately never make a good cable. But Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, God. Would be amazing for for Deadpool to play off of. That kind of coincides with a question I'm going to ask you in a bit. I'm going to now ask you now. What would this movie have been like if it was made in 1995? Say with Tommy Lee Jones as Cable, uh-huh. it would have starred Jim Carrey. You know it. Oh, oh. oh. Uh, yeah. Even back when he was good, but he'd have been grabbing his crotch. It would have been a PG thirteen. He'd have been screaming shit that he just came up with, like joygasm. Ah. <laughs> and people would hate Deadpool, and we still wouldn't have seen another Deadpool on screen <laughs> up until now. Ah. Uh. Think about how uh, this film would have been made at other uh, year points when I go into the other ones. Dolph Lundgren's also here on this list. Mm. Star mm. of kin- He would have been my, my Star guess. of Kindergarten Cop 2. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Looking forward to They're that also one. laying down John Hamm, as in the high roller, Sharon. Huh. As in John okay. Hamm, as in uh, Mad Men. As in men. Yeah. I mean, he's funny. He's, he he's could do not, funny. He is but he's not got the physical yeah. presence. You need big. He's not imposing. You really do. As, you know, I, I, Channing Tatum? Oh, he's already Gambit. Oh, well. You know, I, oh, he's right, too pretty then. to be Gambit. Yeah, he's too cute. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought about it until after I'd seen Trainwreck, but what about John Cena? He is oh, amazing in Okay, uh, he, but you can't see. He's him. great. He is great in Trainwreck, and you're like a dude. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, don't move, uh, don't move, don't move. You moved. Now I kind of want to see an alternate universe Deadpool with Amy Schumer. Yeah, playing Deadpool as Deadpool. Yeah, I also want to see what, the Deadpool core movie. I also want to see Melissa Car- <laughs> Melissa McCarthy as Deadpool. Okay, you want Cagney and Lacey here? Uh, I love her in Spy. Um, <laughs> which I recommend. We're going to talk about that in some in some weeks. Time. Are, are you going to do a spy oh, yeah. show? Awesome. Bagsying for that one. Uh, okay. So good. they've all last one on the list. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, he Ooh. he was pretty good as the comedian. He's kind of laid back for Cable though. Not very funny as the comedian. No, he's not supposed to be funny. That was just his take on the Joker. Um, but uh, now, if you remember, have you seen Losers? Anyone? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, well, I that's the that. one where uh, Chris Evans is actually really funny in that. Um, it's it's got a great sort of sense of humor to it. But Jeffrey Dean Morgan was not playing one of the funny guys. And uh, okay, right here was my nomination, and no one's actually put it on any of these lists. Um, Carl Urban. Oh, 
I can oh, see that yeah. too. Yeah. Who basically yeah. playing dread, uh, but like you know, super angry like that. But just slowly over time, because of Deadpool, just starts to loosen up a little bit. I'm I'd completely rather... blanking. Who played Drax the Destroyer? I can, I can oh, see him, but Batista. I can't see his name. Batista. He he might be a good cable. Oh yeah, I, I, I'd say that. I think he might be a uh, bit busy. James Purefoy? Yeah. James Purefoy? Oh, John. Oh, he's so oh, good. Oh, that's awesome. Really? What's he good in? I think the last time I saw him, he was, was anything with Solomon Kane. That is not a good film. John Carter. Aww. I like it. He's like the best part of John oh, Carter. Oh, yes. Actually, no, I did see John Carter the other day, and it was quite John, funny. Like, you're, John Carter had good You're points. kidnapping me now. Apparently, yeah, that was... He did a bit. It's kind of, yeah. It was good in Rome. Okay, let's move on because that was just one of the questions. <laughs> Either way, they have a smorgasbord of potential cables. But like I said, the, the important thing is that they don't allow Deadpool to warp cable to the fact that he just becomes the punchline to any joke and he becomes the sap. He still has to retain a dignity to him and he still has to be a fucking badass. But yeah, I, I think the fact that The Rock is so totally perfect for this um, like kind of negated everything we said after that. <laughs> <laughs> You'd also get so much whining from people about, eh, but he's not white enough, and it would be delicious. Yeah. It'd be delicious. Oh, that says so much more about the people saying that and nothing about The Rock. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah, I want to shoot, baby. Shoot. Oh, that you don't, baby. Shoot. No, not you. You. Shoot. The bull legged one. Um, okay, so how is this movie progressive? Because that was unexpected. Because obviously, it's a it's a really you know from outwardly, especially due to all the trailers, it's pretty vile. It's basically just people getting shot and leaping around and making jokes about it. And I'm touching myself tonight. Did not expect that it would actually be progressive. List as many reasons as you can. I really like the way that it handled mental illness. I'll let somebody else take the the Vanessa angle, but I liked the way that it deals with how to deal with that kind of trauma. And I mean, this is part of just Deadpool as a character is the, and we've mentioned it before, but the way that he uses humor and the way that he can joke about his situation. And, you know, when he and Vanessa first meet, they basically have a, my life is more fucked up than your life contest. Um, and they do it through humor and they use that as their, their coping mechanism. Um, and at no point do they talk about or did they acknowledge, acknowledge is the wrong word. They don't dwell on the fact that these are, or the idea that these are broken people so much as just, um, they're they're dealing with the issues that they have in the best way that they can. One kind of interest, uh, no, I'll stop myself. Um, but ah. International Women's Day being an intro, being a um, strange little scene that basically wouldn't occur in any other film superhero film, film at all. Film. I have literally <laughs> never seen that done in a film where a guy basically is being pegged if you're not familiar with pegging and some it wasn't made entirely abundantly clear what was happening folks she was wearing oh yes it was but uh, it was, <laughs> there it was some pretty clear innocent people out there who didn't really get it 
there were a bunch of those brownies. There were a bunch of kids in my cinema. Yeah, okay, so. kids. She was wearing a strap-on dildo, to which she was uh, <laughs> immediately about to penetrate him with in a way that allows the woman to feel the powerful thrust of masculinity uh, associated with that side of the, do- uh, the, um, the, the sexual roles. Um, that's literally never happened in any movie. It's never even been fucking hinted at. The only time I've ever seen it done was in a, a British TV show called Peep Show, because it wouldn't show up on an American show. If it has, then let me know. Where Jeremy ended up getting involved in pegging and really didn't like it. Not only did it happen, but it happened to the hero character, and the hero character was not then... It, it, it wasn't done in an, ew, look at them doing this, what a bunch of freaks way. It was done in a... Oh, that's kind of sweet. He actually kind of, like, let her have her way with him in a way that would actually be deeply emasculating, incredibly painful, cause, um, you know, anal fissures, rectal bleeding, total prolapse... If You're done really not wrong. selling it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if done wrong. I don't know. If done right, could be very pleasurable. But the fact that it happened at all is nothing short of fucking astonishing. This was the movie for it to happen, of course. But um, I have seen it. I have seen it in one other oh, yeah? movie. Um, it one was, of the Hangover films? Rem- <laughs> no. Um, it, was, uh, it was actually called Young People Fucking. Okay. And... <laughs> It okay, was, can, can I it say was again? Not, it was not a porn. I need, I need to add a qualifier. A mainstream movie. <laughs> but carry okay, on. Okay, fair enough. I watched it on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it I mean, was... Just Google you just Googled young people <laughs> yeah. fucking. And, uh, <laughs> it was not a good <laughs> idea. It to be on Netflix. Um, no, it was a similar situation. It was, uh, the, the premise of this movie was basically just different... It was different little vignettes about different situations in which people have sex. So there was like first date, there was friends, there was the established couple, that sort of thing. Uh, And this was a situation where it was an established couple who was just trying something new because they were kind of bored. Um, And it was- Well, that'll liven up your evening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love, I love, I love my calendar girl. Yeah, sweet calendar girl. I mean, the whole sexual situation side of thing. Uh, Sharon, do you want to handle this one? Because obviously you reacted in the cinema in a kind of an, oh, I didn't expect it to be like this exactly kind of way. Um, So clearly it affected you. Do do, do, do you have anything to say on this particular side of things? Are you specifically talking about that scene or that whole section? Just the whole calendar girl girl section. Their attitude to sex, specifically intimate sex between these two throughout the movie. I really liked it. It, if that helps, I, I thought the um, the portrayal of it being a very equal partnership um, and the idea of there being a great deal of give and take between them, which then, because you kind of start their relationship off with this big sexual bang, but then from there it, no pun intended by the way, um, yeah. then from <laughs> From there, it kind of carries on into uh, a much more real relationship, something that's gone past the honeymoon phase and obviously is now having to deal with some incredibly serious shit. Um, the, um, the sex scenes were... Right, okay. Going back to the idea that this is riffing on 80s and 90s movies where there was much more prevalence of using a sex scene in order to frame the central couple's relationship. So 
how that sex scene played out, and usually there's there's like one, and it's pretty near the beginning of the film, or at least in the first third or so, and it, it kind of outlines how their their relationship is going to progress. Hang on, I thought in the eighties it was at the end of the second act, so that the hero then has the strength to go through and win at win at being the top gun. <laughs> Or something. Good point. Okay. Yeah, I, I will cede that point on the, the placement of it. Um, but the, lately, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am on this. They've really dropped out of the habit of, of having sexy, yeah. well, that's, sexual Well, that's because all films are PG-13 now. Well, you, yeah, you may be right on that one. But um, but yeah, they they have that whole setup, and yes, it's kind of it's funny and it's it's titillating and it's it's done in a way that is obviously meant to make people curious and interested and amused. But it also evokes this very sort of tender environment and the idea that they trust each other and the idea that they um, are faithful to each other and that they have faith in each other, and that's what then gives them the strength to to deal with what comes next both iron man um, and the incredible hulk had sex scenes they were fleeting and they were coy about it but um you're actually onto something regarding um something i'm going to talk about in a bit uh, and it does tie in with with sex Terry. yeah and i i was just thinking did they and then i thought oh yeah they did and you're right they were really short but they were very specifically <coughs> narratively relevant mm. Um, it wasn't just there so that leading lady can get a baps out. Yep. Um, so baps. <laughs> <laughs> what we call them in England. Uh, one Indeed. Uh, one of the things I kind of wanted to bring up with the um, with that kind of um, sex scene montage was that the way it's treated differs. The way sex in Deadpool is treated differs markedly with a lot of other films, where it's treated as one of two things. Either the most intimate and specialist special thing that ever happened ever, mm. or as a, a CD degrading activity. Twilight and Seven, respectively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the way it was portrayed here, it was, I mean, admittedly, it was a very kind of key and focal point of their relationship. So much of their relationship was governed by, was kind of measured out by the sex they had in terms of the film but it was it was also treated as you know something f- fun and enjoyable to them as well it was recreational it, rather than uh, being yeah. entirely the basis for their relationship it was a symptom of their relationship rather than the culmination of it yeah i mean happy lent Nothing. they didn't seem dissatisfied with that <laughs> right yeah. it reminds me of how they they treated sex in uh, Jessica Jones mm. and that it's very sex positive and it's also just kind of, yeah, they banging. Whatever. <laughs> to that end, though, um, this is what I was going to mention before. Uh, sorry, is there anything left um, on that point, Kieran? Uh, no, no. I just thought it was a kind of curious portrayal of sex I hadn't seen in many films. Well, yeah, recreational sex. The, um, to, to that... The well, fact well, that that's curious is really disturbing. It's true. <laughs> Well, I haven't seen that many films, so maybe. Somebody's just, uh, Jesse just wrote The Maturist in the uh, the writing. Um, think back to every single superhero relationship that you've seen in uh, everything going back to like 
the original Superman and um, Burton's Batman, and then um, the uh, the Spider Man movies and Iron Man and Thor and um, even Guardians of the Galaxy. All of these have in common they don't contain two consenting adults fucking the daylights out of each other or but, but, i mean it's it's it, that's you know that, that's actually closest would be batman returns because there's kind of that um bruce and selena kind of like bond and it's off it's off screen but they kind of share their fucked upness but they can't get past the whole superhero thing whereas in deadpool it's not really an issue there's so much of relationships in movies where I can't get past the superhero thing. It's such an issue. And there's so much, it's, it's almost like they don't want to alienate teenagers by showing two adults who share a, um, a sexual relationship. I think maybe the closest we got was actually Natasha and Bruce in um, uh, Avengers 2, where they actually seem like adults discussing a very serious situation. Although, technically, it was still, we can't get past the superhero situation. Ergo, the Hulk himself will always be in the way of our relationship. Um, so this was a very unusual scenario of uh, of two characters meeting in a superhero movie where the superheroics and the, the special powers and the secret identity did not get in the way. The only thing that really got in the way was the usual kidnapping villain and cancer as well. Did I forget I cancer? There's also say, cancer. Yeah, don't forget the cancer. Which is very the unusual other- for a superhero movie. But the thing that got in the way was not specifically the cancer. It was that Wade yeah. himself ran away from it. I, I, I did um, respond uh, strongly to the uh, the whole, um, it's not what cancer does to you, it's what it does to the other person. And mm. that, I think that's when the movie really started to take hold of a lot of people. Because they were like, oh, this is all just great fun. And then fucking tragedy hits in that kind of horrible, like, you know, if you ever watched House... People just sort of getting brain tumors, just sitting down. Um, that that horrible kind of Tuesday afternoon. Oh, suddenly my entire life changes completely, uh, sort of way, which is a very mundane, horrible thing, and not the least bit connected to superheroism. And that made it feel very, very real. And I think people were starting to really engage with it, especially due to his understandable reaction of "I just got to get out of here." And it made Vanessa's reactions to that news and the way she handled the situation really sort of strengthen her character yeah. uh, because she's, sure. she's the one who's talking to Dr. Okay, what are the treatment options into this and the that? And well, one of the things that I appreciate about this movie to sort of go back to a, a previous point about how it's progressive is that Vanessa is never reduced to the fact that she is either a stripper or a sex worker of some sort. Um, it's not made abundantly clear, but she sort of works in that sphere. Mm-hmm. But Wade never pressures her to stop working at the strip club. He doesn't seem to care, you know, if she is actually a sex worker because they exchange money for time spent together. Um, that's not treated as a value judgment against her. So even though she's sort of the damsel in distress of the movie with a couple of caveats to her own agency, she's not reduced to a single thing the way that most other people like, oh, the hooker with the heart of gold would be in other films. Mm. And the way she reacts to the cancer, I think, is one of the ways that this film really sort of nails that aspect of how it treats its characters as people. Vanessa. How many others? Sorry. Vanessa, more than any other female character in a superhero movie, makes Mary Jane look like a little child. Yeah. 
how many other movies would she have spent the rest of the movie sort of just bawling in the corner after she found out the news mm-hmm. of Wade's cancer? Oh, and apparent death because she thought he was dead. And she's still like continuing on. Mm-hmm. Or hanging from things and screaming. She did do a little bit of like, get me out of this thing. But she did, wasn't just like hanging. I, I don't remember. Us. Like there was a, like he put her in that canister and it was hanging off the thing, but she wasn't herself hanging by her fingers going, ah, save me. Because he was kind of in the also, process of having done that. Also, she doesn't really do any, oh my God, get me out of this thing. It's okay. How do I get myself out of this mm. thing? Um, and to the point where she ends up actually um, her hands bleeding because she's using the sword to get herself out yeah. of there. Um, I, I did. There was a moment when she came out of the club and where she'd been working. And I thought she's still got her her work clothes on, which means she's going to spend this entire last act dressed as a prostitute, a short skirt and, and stockings. And Frank Miller wrote that bit. Well, it it did occur to me, actually, that 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 may have been another kind of, you know, if this was a typical superhero movie, this is what would be happening. She'd be there just for you to ogle. But she's not. She's although she is the the damsel in distress at that point, she's been kidnapped. She's been tied to things. They're using her to get to him. Mm. And those are all very um, sort of stereotypical things that are used in that kind of movie. It it does still feel like they they do doing it referentially rather than just copying and repeating. And I think a big part of that is is the casting because Marina Baccarin is so intelligent and she plays that role so cleverly as to... to well, it's not, cleverly is not even really the, the word for it, but she, she does it in such a way that she's so human and she's so whole and, and so multifaceted, even in the, the short amount of screen time that she's got that you you can see that there's other things going on there than just, you know, okay, I'm here to make the set look pretty and wait to be rescued. Mm. Other things like stabbing a dude in the kidneys with a katana? <laughs> that would do it, yes. Yeah, she, she does save his ass, which is very important that she managed to actually get that done. I was waiting for a yes. moment that she wouldn't just be a damsel in distress and actually have a little bit of extra deadly agency herself. I was just going to say, I did like that she actually was a character rather than just a damsel in distress or just the hooker with the heart of gold. She was a character and these were things that were happening to her, but that wasn't her sole purpose. No. And again, it's that playoff of, you know, they, they spend the movie saving each other, but it's not just a case of he saves her from kidnappers and she rescues him emotionally. Uh, Which is naff and boring. Keep Wade on ice, because we're definitely going to be talking about him more. But we can probably get Ajax and Angel Dust done really quickly. Um, Ajax, I think a lot of people have pointed out, is a weak part of the film. He's a, yet another crappy villain who is who seems to have only sadism on his uh, rap sheet of, like, these are my character motivations. Sadism. Sadism and for, just to advance medical science to, so that we can all get money and be living like damn hell-ass kings. Again, that, that Weapon X type program, it was like, what what do you do? I suppose there was sort of a throwaway comment about, oh, we hire you out as like mercenaries, like mutant type things. Never said Weapon X. I don't think it really would have made much difference if they had. So it didn't help X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, but his loathsome character. I wanted Deadpool to kill the hell out oh, yeah. of him, so I'll, I'll give that to him. So he was effective in that way. Yeah, he was hateable. 
I quite like the fact that he was a small villain. He wasn't small penis a big. Villain. Well, yes, indeed. He wasn't some, uh, you know, maniac who wants to take over the world or, you know, has great designs on even something minor like ruling his own country or anything like that. He, he was just basically in it for the money. And his relationship with Deadpool was therefore very small and very personal, mm. which I felt was very much what they were going for. I spent... I spent most of the movie uh, like hoping he was going to be killed in a comedically awful way, like you know, shagged by a bull elephant. Uh, but by the end, when Wade was beating the crap out of him, it was like, wow, there's so much emotional baggage held up in in actually taking vengeance here. It does need to be something more quiet and intimate and, and quick, rather than just for yucks. Although they still managed to get the um, this all, you know, the it being contingent on whether Deadpool would be a hero or not. Thanks to Colossus, you do you do have to wonder uh, how much um, how much the film's pacing and focus could have been slowed down if they fleshed out the bad guys for this first instalment mm. that much more. And it's not a it's not a carte blanche. It's not a get out of jail free. They could have done a lot better job writing them out. Mm. And to be honest, although he's a massively loathsome character, I didn't think the performance of him by, was it Ed Scrine? I, don't so, know, I believe Jason his name Statham. is a British you know? guy. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. British villain. I think yeah. his name is actually Statham. not Mark Strong. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> or although, honestly, Mark Strong did not improve uh, Green Lantern, so it's, there's no guarantee that, a, that great casting will pay off. He didn't hurt it, though. It wasn't his nah. fault. He was actually the best thing in it, now that I recall kind of thinking yeah they are kind of light and flimsy villains but when you're dealing with a hero like deadpool you need something initially when you're trying to get people on board with it you do just need the blanket he's just easy somebody to hate yeah from that point of view it, it clearly worked I'm hoping for Black that Tom Cassidy for the next one. It's like, it's fifth and big aura. <laughs> <laughs> that um, final death scene for him, by the way, or the, at least the the beating scene, um, it could have been the presence of Marina Baccarin, but I was just thinking, uh, what is it? Mercy is the mark of a great man. Punch. I guess I'm just a good man. Punch. Punch. I'm okay. Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> And uh, Angel Dust, or uh, she was only called Angel the whole way through, which is obviously confusing if you're an X-Men fan. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, Gina Carano, again, really confusing for me to basically watch the woman that I want to play Wonder Woman playing a nobody villain in uh, Deadpool, which I'm sure everyone's going to you know, see and remember and love, whilst uh, the girl who I didn't want to play Wonder Woman gets to go and play Wonder Woman in that Bats v. Soups film that's coming up. Don't worry, it'll probably be the last time she plays Wonder Woman. Oh, no, no, movie. she's definitely in the, the, the Wonder Woman film. and you know, I, I, She's not the worst casting in the world, Just, but I really would have liked to see Gina Carano, I don't know, take acting lessons like Dave Bautista and actually really flex that, because she is fucking awesome as a fighter. Do you see the way she was fucking up Colossus? Oh, yeah. God. That fight was glorious. Was great. Um, but yeah, ultimately all she is in this is, is just like less angry Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, and you know, she's got this oral fixation, which they could possibly have gone into. I would have liked to see just more banter between them and between them and Deadpool. But yeah, uh, you know, ultimately the, I don't necessarily think that it would have been approaching greatness more if that had been there. But if you're going to, st- you know, uh, work out what could be fixed and, and tweaked up for the next one, that's it. 
more more kind of uh, villain villains that make you laugh are actually kind of important. The Hans yeah, Gruber I mean, effect. It's Christmas, Theo. It's the time of miracles. As I said, villains that make you laugh. I thought Hans Gruber. So I don't know why, but uh, just we're simpatico here. I mean, the one good piece of delivery she has is when Colossus is kind of shielding shielding his mm. eyes. You have popped out. <laughs> yes. so and she goes, oh, thank you. That's so that sweet. And then it's Yeah, yeah, it did seem so natural, as did the, uh, the low blow afterwards. Yeah. Although why she didn't <laughs> smash everybody in her. Oh, the bit where he keeps going for the bollocks and he breaks his hand and then breaks his other hand and breaks his foot. <laughs> And then saws his own hand off and still gives him the finger. That was just sublime. The, it was just this cube. Everyone fears the T-Rex. Yeah. It was great being in a cinema where everyone was laughing. It was a packed house. And for that, I was so happy that we'd actually like gone to see it. Because it, there's nothing worse than sitting in a movie that's not funny. And everyone's going, <laughs> and uh, you're going, what the fuck? Dude? Just, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon, carry on, sorry. I have a question regarding Deadpool's healing factor. Mm-hmm. Um and we've seen oh, evidence hand. that Yeah. <laughs> right, I yeah. Bet it feels huge that, in this. That, <laughs> that particular topic. Um we've seen the evidence that he can have pretty sizable bits cut off him and they will still grow mm-hmm. back. Is it feasible? that missing limbs could regenerate another Deadpool? Well, in the comics, he was literally torn in half. And each mm. half we created to form... Well, that was when he had another person's personality inside him, and that personality got the extra Deadpool. So, yeah, is the answer. Wolverine has been reduced to a skeleton with molecules of... Well, an adamantium skeleton with molecules of um, skin fibers or flesh still attached to it and has grown back from that in uh, in the comics. It's pretty much... I mean, that, that to me is a ridiculous um, power <laughs> because it, there's, there's no... There's no worry there that, that that they might end up not. It's it's not so much will Wolverine die and stay dead because he has died and will probably be coming back. Is he back yet in the comics? I think he is. He's old man Logan. Oh, or something. seriously? Okay, well he he died like a, a week ago and has already been brought back. Um, but uh, but yeah, like the, the the worry is not so much will Wolverine die permanently in the comic, but will Wolverine be in too bad shape to actually be able to save? The, the day I mean is even is that like not complex enough for a comic book story these days see for me that comes down to not will Wolverine be utterly obli- obliterated but will he be destroyed to such a point that he literally cannot cope with it mentally anymore because with the with the adamantium skull as long as his brain is still intact mm. then he's still got a seat of consciousness yeah. Deadpool's been decapitated he's had you know been reduced to effectively a little pile of ash. I mean, that was the impression that I got from when the the uh, clinic burnt down was that he'd regrown from that little mm. pile of ash. Um, so where the hell is his seat of consciousness? I suppose it sort of hangs around the ash. But that's the in Wolverine when uh, when that happened to him when he was burned away to to almost nothing. There was something called the White Room, which is where he met Phoenix. Um, so he goes to a place in his mind where he is able to rest while he's waiting for his body to grow back. 
that could definitely be explored in Deadpool. Um, just to actually look at the way his broken ass mind now works. Sort of an expansion of the way he was seeing the cartoon animals when the knife was stuck mm, in his head. Mm. Yeah. He could go to Toontown. Yeah. I get the feeling that given the way Deadpool uh, Daredevil. works. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I almost corrected myself into Daredevil. <laughs> Sorry. Given the way that Deadpool works in all of the other medium uh, uh, mediums that he's in, it could be that his seat of consciousness rests with the writers. True. True. Like I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm being actually yeah. serious. That's that's the mm-hmm. way that his character is portrayed because he's he's aware of uh, whatever medium he's currently in uh, as one of his uh, powers, personality quirks. I'm not sure. So it could be that when he he dies somewhere, he reappears. Uh, he's running around the, the writers' heads and basically just sort of hangs out and drinks coffee until they write him back into the story. Yeah. Wow. That would. Be- it wouldn't surprise me if in Deadpool two he actually wandered off like off off camera and talked to the mm. director about something. I'd, okay, right. <laughs> so he's morph. I had predicted that it was possible that during the middle of a car chase, uh, Deadpool would literally wander out of the screen in 3D and uh, start basically running around the audience talking about how he was running around the audience. It would be a weird dated reference and the um, 2016 equivalent of, you think the Gremsters have got what it takes to stand up to the Hulkster? But it would be a great way of breaking the fourth wall. Although the movie wasn't in 3D. So. In 3D! I'm so glad it wasn't, actually. Because ultimately, it's, right? it's further proof. Because there's no way of measuring it. If all the big movies come out in 3D and they go, well, look, 3D is obviously very, very popular. No, big movies are very, very popular. You force the 3D on them. <clears throat> but that's a fight that I'm going to continue to have until it fucks off. Um, Weasel and Blind Owl. It reeks like old lady pants in here. Sounds like you have a dick in your mouth. Oh, motherfucker, you are hard to look at. Like a testicle with teeth. You look like Freddy Krueger face-fucked a topographical map of Utah. Exactly. What I really loved about that was it's clear that basically um, uh, he was saying different things every time, and they were just going with what worked best and what was funniest. Sometimes you get this thing in trailers where they say a funnier line or a better delivered line in the trailer, and you always wonder... Why wasn't that in the final movie? And it's like, well, we're just trying to change it up so people didn't expect it to be in the trailer, or to, to be in the movie because it was in the trailer slightly different. And it's like, well, hang on a second. That way you end up with Indiana Jones saying, part time, in a weird way, in the, uh, the final movie because they actually chose a different take on that. And it's less funny. And the, uh, they had to choose between Jose Canseco and less angry Rosie O'Donnell for uh, Gina Carano. They went with the better one. Um, but the best thing about the avocado line was that they elaborated it into the hate-fucking avocados. <laughs> well, both... Um, oh, I forget the name of the guy who played Weasel. TJ, uh, TJ, TJ the guy that Michael Bay decided to take out of Transformers uh, like a quarter of the way in. Oh, dude, sick, bro. The funniest guy in the movie just died. This, this Decepticon came down and just killed him. <laughs> uh, T T J Miller and Ryan Reynolds have a very similar style of comic delivery, yes. which which is the kind of snarky riffing at each other, and so just having them alone in the room, and that that take could have gone on for about three years yeah. and still keep going. 
And it would have continued to be funny. Oh, another thing that was taken out, what well, was great in the trailer and, and wasn't in the final film, Kylo Ren walks through the forest and then goes, where was that bit in Star Wars? It, it felt like it should have been there, but it wasn't. Anyway. But yeah, TJ Miller was absolutely great as, uh, as Weasel in it just enough. That's another thing that people mentioned about Deadpool himself, that Deadpool himself isn't actually in the movie anywhere near as much as you might expect him to be, and that's a good thing, because a little of that guy goes a long way, and thus he didn't outstay his welcome. He had a lot more weighed and less Deadpool. I think that's kind of the whole movie's ethos, because it's only like, what, an hour and 40 minutes yeah. long? It's... It's paced more like a Ghostbusters than like an Iron Man. It's very well under two hours, so it's it's not wasting your time. And since timing is so important to comedy, it keeps things going quick. Yeah, I don't think you'd accuse the film of being bloated in any particular area. Yeah. Thankfully. Mm. And that's another um, way it differs from, uh, from superhero movies, that, that they're getting longer and more ponderous and more crammed with characters. Um, it would be better to uh, have it smaller and more focused uh, for the future. They can just afford so many characters these yeah. days. Not this movie. They could on- only afford two X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> one and a one and a half. <laughs> That's another... Okay, right. Um, how did the X-Men in general feel in this movie? Colossus was great. They, they felt right for the first time, mm-hmm. really the pair of them paying off because they were actually fun mm-hmm. and, and that's something that like never X-Men. really happened in the previous X-Men films I was just say I really liked the way that uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead I thought she was the perfect sort of the perfect foil for Deadpool because we were talking about just a minute ago how he, he never really overstays his welcome and just at the point where you kind of start to feel like you've had enough of Deadpool right now, they switch off to something Mm. else. She serves that same purpose because right at the point where you're just getting to to feel like, okay, okay, this is kind of drawn on long enough, she jumps in and says something about, all right, there's the stupid, or you've you've done enough of this. She she is able to take the piss out of him the way that he takes the piss out of Mm. superhero movies. And she feels like a, a a new mutants or an X-Force X-Man rather than your, your Storm, classic, Cyclops, Wolverine. Um, heroic yeah. type mm-hmm. X-Man, yeah. That reminds me. I have to look her up. I've never heard Negasonic of her Negasonic Teenage Warhead. It's a Grant Morrison yeah. character. It was sort of a throwaway uh, uh, line uh, for a goth teenager who I believe gets killed fairly quickly. Uh, she's named after a song by Monster Magnet, which uh, Sharon and I watched the video for earlier today. Uh, it's, a, it's a disaster. It's Nine Inch Nails through the filter of a total douchebag who doesn't understand how much work and effort Trent Reznor puts in. Um, you don't need to ever listen to Negasonic Scene. I will before. respectfully disagree with you on the Monster Magnet. Oh, you like Monster Magnet? I love I'm Monster so sorry, Magnet. Kieran. They are so gloriously, cheesily dumb. It's fantastic. Okay. We went uh, past Blind Al, by the way, completely blindsided her it would have been way too easy just to make her a swearing old lady the fact that she was an ex-coke addict really added to her character as well and the fact that she was just sort of trading um bullshit with him back and forth but what really sold it was when he just sort of rested his head on her there was a kind of okay we're both fucking wastrels and we really only have each other at this stage that was very sweet 
I think there's there's quite a lot of that weaving through the um, the characters in the film, though, and in the sense of what we were talking about at the beginning, that they are uh, terrible people, but then the more you get to know them, you you kind of get that they're not really terrible people. They've just done terrible things, and it's the it's the outcasts it's the people that society doesn't want that much to do with you know the mercenaries and the hookers and the ex-addicts and you know all the people that get chucked to the side and the the way that they support each other and and can make something out of that being chucked aside it's it's one of those kind of friends i've got several friends who we communicate almost purely in insults and it kind of connects very much in that in that same sort of way. In that you you you're there for each other when it actually matters, but beyond that, it's just too much fun to just try and constantly annoy each other. Apparently, the uh, there was going to be two other characters in the uh, film: um, Garrison Kane, who's like a cable antagonist. I suppose he's his winter soldier. And um, like he's the former compatriot who he, he meets again and he's got cyborg arms suddenly and he doesn't remember who he is. Way before um, Ed Brubaker took on the winter soldier concept. Um, and uh, Cannonball, who is sort of a redneck kid who butts things with his head. And it's really easy to see how they basically took the exact same like cyborg arm guy and turned him into Colossus and the exact same kind of like you know, fires himself forward using kinetic energy and turned him into Negasonic Teenage Warhead. By the way, love the little thing about, um, it's interesting that, you know, we, we keep coming back to the mansion and we only ever see you guys. Almost like the execs wouldn't pay for anyone else. <laughs> Great moment. Um, I always also, got a good laugh, that one. Since you bring that up, I always really like that no one ever reacts to his blatant fourth wall breaking. Mm. Like, no one ever looks at him like, what? Speaking? or anything they just say it he just says it and everyone keeps going like nothing just happened right i was talking to them i wasn't talking to them <laughs> uh, shut up <laughs> but the fact that colossus is russian and plays it russian played very much in the character's favor he never had anything to do in any of the previous x-men movies he was just there he was colossus this is very much a um brian singer thing he gets other X-Men characters, he puts them in the background, they display their power, that's it. This is not a guy I want to be in control of the X-Men franchise for the next 15 years. He hasn't done much of anything with it uh, while he has been in charge, and he's produced very underwhelming films as a result. In this case, far fewer X-Men focus on just little bits of characterization, and it felt so much more alive. Colossus actually finally got to talk. Different actor, different voice actor. Although the original, the original Colossus actor had the chance to, to reprise the role and turned it down. If you want to see a six-foot man kicking himself in the ass, go round his house right now. <laughs> but um, the fact that he was playing it Russian, first off it meant that this was the biggest film opening in Russia for God knows how long. This isn't... Bigger than Star Wars, yeah, wasn't it? This ain't Rocky Four. This is we finally get Russian hero. This is a huge deal to people who aren't American to finally get some like that was the whole point of the all new, all different giant sized X Men in the seventies. We'll get an African superhero, a German superhero, an Irish superhero, a Native American superhero, a Canadian superhero, and yes, a Russian superhero. It was like just bring the world together rather than just these 
white ass American teens from the uh, the first X Men: Gene, Scott, Beast, Bobby, and Angel. There is something particularly delicious, though, about a Russian lecturing a Canadian on how to best be the American template of a hero. (laughs) Colossus played this wonderful kind of, you know, like taking everything straightforward, um, straight man. The fact that he can't really be hurt that badly made him even better as a character because it, it meant that he could be a sap and somehow survive these lethal situations. He, you know, and and still somehow take the moral high ground, and to be able to get through the lectures and and be the big brothery type character. It was really excellent positioning of Colossus, and he's the Colossus I've always wanted to see done properly. Yeah, and setting it up in that way that you did only have those two relatively loose links to mm. the X Men made it so that you can divorce this from the original X-Men series completely if you want to. It doesn't have to be linked in any way. In fact, I think the only really blatant reference was the fact that um, he uh, did the Australian joke when he was talking about Oh, and the uh, Hugh Jackman mask at the end. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. (laughs) And and the mention of which uh, Xavier... When he was like Mac Boy or There Stewart. are enough uh, things that like you'd have to actually be going la 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 to not tie this in with the X Men. <laughs> I was yeah. doing that a lot, I think. <laughs> but uh, but Negasonic herself, an excellent. Well, she basically is your teenage audience finally going in to see this guy's like, oh, everyone says he's hot shit. Uh, I don't know, I'll watch him. And then her assessment at the end of, yeah, you're cool. Yeah, good enough. Okay, that's fine. Like this forty-year-old superhero, non-superhero, and super anti-hero guy, winning the grudging approval of teenagers everywhere. I was gonna say, indeed, and with such old taste in music yeah. too. The music, my <laughs> god, probably the best um, soundtrack since Guardians of the Galaxy. Although it's smaller, you've got yes. Angel of the Morning by Juice Newton for that uh, first intro sequence. Shoop by Salt and Pepper. That one was for the ladies. Oh God, and it's been in my head ever since, mm-hmm. damn it. Uh, calendar Girl. Um, Neil Sedaka. Neil Sedaka, correct. Um, the the Deadpool rap by Team Head Kick. Uh, that was actually from the the game, wasn't it? It was. Was it? Um, although they uh, they okay. re- redid the uh, lines to draw it into the actual um, uh, movie rather than the game itself. So it's a redone version of it. Um, DMX's X Gone Give It To Ya. Which I I always found annoying when I was uh, you know like twenty two or something when that actually came out, but that it was deliberately placed just like with Shoop to sort of bring you back to when you were younger and sort of like that this sort of thing might have appealed to you and it was like what we're going to be a throwback to that and now I can't get X go and give it to you uh, go and give it to you out of my head <laughs> what what save <laughs> X gon' give it to ya Fuck wait for you to get it on your own X gon' deliver to ya Knock knock, open up the door, it's real With the non-stop pop-ups It also deliberately stops that montage For him to remember that he left the guns So it's taking right. the piss out of its own soundtrack yeah. still Go hard getting busy with it But I got such a good heart that I make a mother uh, And by the way, Dopinda, he's going to jail That's it <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Kidnap man in his trunk and a you know a, a collision. That kidnap man may be in a bad shape now, but the moment that the police turn up, he's got a big old carrier of guns. Can't explain that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're the inspiration by Chicago. Wonderful. I mean, it's Chicago. You 
you can't play them now without basically directly accessing the sort of the 80s cheeseometer. And um, they've got this kind of like really full-throated love ballad type thing going on. Which, but at the same time, there was a sweetness to that. That, that was the, the, the bit with all the, um, the cartoon characters, when he's got a knife through his head. And the Careless Whisper by Wham, which he really likes Wham. That's another thing about it being progressive. <laughs> repeated and not just being done in the bum by Marina Baccarin, but repeated instances of Wade having a sensitive side, being you know into things like Wham, being into... Uh, things that are that guys wouldn't normally admit to being into, and and actually having you know having access to that side and being unashamed of it as well. Like basically at the end of the movie, he's 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 justified liking stuff like Wham, just like um, Dipper in um, Gravity Falls, you know, full throatedly loving Abba or Baba as they're called for licensing reason in that. Um, it's. This is part of the progressive movement. It's, 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 you know, having girls who actually have agency and boys who admit to liking things that are more feminine, such as Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani, like- which is uh, in the original <laughs> teaser. <laughs> I would like to jump on this bandwagon and say that I much prefer uh, the Wham! version of Careless Whisper to the Seether oh, cover. I'm just yeah. saying. Indeed. Um, I think it's, it's not... Um, it's not just the feminine stuff, though, and you, you're absolutely right. I, and I, I don't like the word feminine being applied to, to that kind of thing. But it's the it's the emotional side. It's the um, the admitting that he feels things, admitting that he ran away because he was scared, because he didn't want to admit um, that the that this cancer was going to bring him down, and he didn't want her to okay. see that. Right, um, sorry. Sorry to make it sound like feminine was a negative. The masculine gatekeepers consider anything emotional to be girly and feminine and faggy and gay and horrible and basically everything that they're scared of. And I loathe those yeah, I people. I know. I'm not, I wasn't criticising you for using that term. I'm, I'm just saying that's. I'm, I'm agreeing with you that that term being used for that whole collection of things um, is, is part of the problem. And... It's not something that goes wildly, um, that, that is wildly commented on here. It just is. That's just the way he is. And by and large, although he may rail against this situation, he accepts those things about himself. <laughs> From the trailers, it looks like it's, it's basically just for violent boys. But if you get like violent boys who only like Batman and only the rough, angry Batman with psychopathic villains into the cinema to watch it, they're going to start feeling very uncomfortable many times. Good. <laughs> especially since Wade... Well, especially since Wade himself has introduced, like, going up to a violent boy stalker and saying, I will mess you up. Don't yeah. do that. Like, that's our introduction to the character, is him basically trying to set a stalker straight while still a- acknowledging the fact that this is a kid... But he needs to cut that shit out right now because that's not how you. Act. I was worried that that was going to be their catchment, and he's, it's as you say, it starts the movie going, yeah, these guys can be colossal douchebags. Also, I like the fact that he normally, when somebody is extremely sardonically humorous, it's a distancing thing. It's because they're trying to uh, isolate themselves from their emotional reactions. And although it's obvious that he uses the humor as a coping mechanism, it's not so much trying to keep him away from those feelings. It's just helping him to manage them. Okay, Before we move on, can, can I go back to Colossus yeah, for a minute? 
<laughs> I, I, com- I completely forgot about this, and you moved on to the soundtrack before and I could Soviet jump in. Soviet Russia uh, soundtrack moves on to you. Yeah, and, and Daredevil. Daredevil <laughs> soundtrack, best soundtrack ever. Drowning Pool and Rob Zombie. I used to have that. Is that, Evanescence is that twice. Um, Two for one. Twice. Two Evanescence. It has so, a Chet Stroker and the Nickelbacks. <laughs> <laughs> So while I really enjoyed Colossus in this movie, uh, everything that you said about him earlier is completely true. But I didn't like him as Colossus in uh, if, if this is the characterization uh, of Colossus going forward in like the greater X Men continuity. That's awful. Really? Because he he was put there as like the epitome of the goody two shoes just to. Just for uh, uh, Deadpool to play off of, mm-hmm. and and I, I really don't think that he was actually a character. Okay, uh, he, he was very like the original. Yes, Colossus. he was like seventies Colossus. He was not so much like nineties Colossus, who was more conflicted about Ilyana. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to stop. Seriously, <laughs> big fan of Colossus here. I do see what you mean. He was very much a reduced sort of Deadpool's vision of what someone like Colossus would be, which is appropriate for a Deadpool movie. I think they could still do basically this, but with a bit more nuance and affection for the character's point of view in a an X-Men movie if they want to reuse this version of the character. Uh, a different read on Colossus might be because you only ever really see him when he's got his trainee around. Yes. He that might actually be on best behavior for her. That's a solid Ooh. point. We only ever also, see Cyclops never... when he is in his I do not like Wolverine mode. <laughs> <laughs> also, you only ever see him in Iron in Steel form. You don't get him in flesh. Yeah, why is he sitting there eating breakfast in 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 uh organic steel mode that i think it's because they didn't have an actor he's just a cg no, character they have motion capture actor <laughs> also we forget well, you look lap at the dance by nerd <laughs> <laughs> well you look at the proportions of him there isn't really that much scope for human beings currently alive to sort of match sure. how big classes are meant to be uh, yeah but when it comes so guess, to him being kind of CG all the time, I was actually kind of impressed with it because the CG isn't the best, but the sound design from moving around mm. made and the way they kept putting him in small and confined spaces or holding small things made him feel as big as he looked, which is one of the things that doesn't happen that often with a lot of CG stuff. Mm. He never looked like he wasn't really in the scene. Mm. Yeah. The, the, I'm, I'm going to hark back to the fight scene between him and Gina Carano, dur- him and Angel during that during the kind of end end phase of that, and yeah, it's it's amazing what they managed to accomplish without that much of a budget to do your Smaug level CG. Also, I really liked the fact that he kept throwing up every time he was exposed to extreme gore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think that the 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 point you're you're making there, Kieran, is that the the big men in little spaces is is a great sort of visual gag, and also just an interesting character thing that we hadn't really seen with Colossus. You know, he was just kind of a guy, but mm. but you know, someone who has to deal with the being a big guy in little places. You know, seeing him deal with the spoon. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's it's a funny gag, but it's also it's also kind of Colossus. Basically, anytime he armors up, even if he can unmetal himself, he's still got to deal with the Man of Steel, World of Paper phenomenon that a character like that has to deal with on the battlefield if he's trying not to kill everyone in the world. That's the thing that they needed a character who was pure but could survive it. As I said, the. Um... That the, yeah. there actually wouldn't have been room to really explore the complexities of Colossus and maybe his, uh, you know, he is actually quite multifaceted as a character once you go into that stuff. Um, Although it was kind of telling that the whole time he was big man in a little room, he never seemed put out by it. He was just, like, when he's piled into the back of the cab, he's, he's just there. He, he wasn't there angry like look what are these fools got me into he, he's there just chilling hi i'm colossus how are well, he's you in at least in his late 30s now after uh x-men 2 if that is still the same because that's the thing you know um as much as simon kinberg likes to talk about the alternate universes alternate universes everyone was still supposed to be born at the same time unless the 73 split changes that um but if they're uh, if they were already born, then then that does change certain things. I suppose actually, Colossus could have been born a bit later or a bit earlier, depending on the the, the butterfly effect of the changing times. But um, but it is it's effectively the same Colossus, and and he has already gone through a lot of stuff. But that's another thing; they never really explored the idea of young mutants being looked after by older mutants in X Men. It falls to a goddamn Deadpool movie for them that to actually be a thing. <laughs> it, they sort of did it in X Men Three because Wolverine was babysitting at the beginning when they were doing their Danger Room simulation, but then they abandoned it really quickly. They touch on it a bit in X Two because the run with Logan, yeah. but that's again it's swept off. Okay, really quick. so maybe a, a, a Big Brother mutant who is not Wolverine. <laughs> if that's the thing, I am. I think we've all seen Wolverine do so many awesome things. It is now time for X-Men to be able to prove that it can do stuff without him. And it has done. The best X-Men, the best two X-Men films don't have Wolverine in them. Because that's the thing. This is my second favorite X-Men movie after First Class. And I really like First Class. So that tells tells you a lot. If I I go to my, I've got a list here of every single Marvel movie. That's that's Fox and uh, Marvel and, and all the previous ones as well. It's number nine. Avengers, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man, First Class, Age of Ultron, Captain America, the First Avenger, Thor, Deadpool. So that's that's pretty good for me. And I really wasn't expect. I wasn't going to go. Like I say, wasn't even going to go see it. Wasn't expecting that much from it. Does Wade have a negative mutation? Question mark. Because there's been the whole thing for years about is Deadpool a mutant or a mutate, which is that he has been mutated by the process which made him Deadpool. They describe it as a latent yeah. mutation in the movie. Um, 
as far as the the movie, I think it's a just whatever they need to happen for the script yeah. to work. The negative mutation in, in question I'm talking about is actually his uh, – um, it would appear that his cancer is in exact perfect unison with his healing factor, which basically means that um, – if he didn't have the healing factor, he would die almost immediately. That's how virulent and powerful the cancer is. If he didn't have the cancer, his healing factor would make him turn into a giant exploding ball of flesh and he would explode and die. That's actually happened in the comics where they cloned him for the, the scrolls. So in, it's a weird case of just the right augmentation to balance out his, um, his latent mutation. But... That means that technically the latent mutation would kill him without this. Well, one of the things that I found myself puzzling over with the film is that um, whatever company or agency or whatever it is recruiting these people and turning them into mutants, they're going after terminally yeah. ill people. Are they just kind of guessing that all these people have a healing factor that will cure all their illnesses? <laughs> Or maybe it doesn't matter because they're terminally ill and they figure, eh, you'll be dead anyway if we kill you doing this. I think that's just about the thinking behind it. They're they're going for people at the very bottom end of society that won't be missed. There's a lot of turnover in this company. I wonder what kind of warranties they offer. You could definitely point out a whole bunch of uh, characters in the X-Men universe who have got um, negative mutations. Both Summers brothers, Scott and uh, Alex. Um, Especially in the comics, Alex needs to wear a special suit all the time or he starts firing off cosmic rays that kill people. Scott needs to wear the, uh, the visor all the time. Um, ultimately Jean's, uh, telepathy is so strong that she requires Charles to basically get her to keep it in check. Otherwise she'd go insane. A lot of mutations for the more interesting characters, um, when they're explored with this in mind, specifically in the comics, because they have never really explored the Summers brothers, or Gene, for that matter, in the movies. <laughs> yeah, the, the idea of the mutation working against you and being something you have to overcome and harness is one of the best aspects of X-Men as a comic. I, I think that's probably what made the X-Men the thing that really, really got me into comic yeah. book stories. Um, because that's... It's it's kind of the opposite of the whole, hey, I've got superpowers, isn't that awesome? Now I can go out and save the world. No, this is some shit you got stuck with by a freak mm. of birth. And it's it's going to cause you problems for the rest of your life. And yes, you may overcome that and ter- it turn out that you can use it for good and, and save the rest of the world. But you've always got the fact that you're carrying the massive drag factor mm. that is you, which is a very, very human experience to deal with. See also. Let it go. Let it go, can't hold it back anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of the, the logical extension of, you know, puberty as metaphor for superpowers. You know, puberty, it's not great while it's happening to you because your voice cracks, you got hair in weird places. It, it's not a fun thing to experience while you're in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, obviously it doesn't give you laser eyes, but reading comics where someone's going through something that feels analogous makes them feel like they're more a part of what you're experiencing, mm. which is, I think, one of the major benefits of X-Men just as a universe and a yeah. concept. Absolutely. And I think the idea um, that they, they looked at in the film of, 
because I think in the comic they specifically infused him with something that they got from Wolverine and were intentionally giving him a healing factor. Whereas in the film, it was almost like they were just going to bombard him with threats and, you know, things that his body would interpret as as potentially damaging for his survival until something was triggered in him that would fight back against that they weren't looking for a healing factor specifically it was just a case of you know what's going to emerge if we do this that's kind of what happens with mutants most of their abilities and and um, and genetic quirks come out as you say at puberty at a time when your body and your mind are going through massive intense stress so you could very easily interpret those mutations as basically being your your genetic structure interpreting the flush of, of adolescent hormones as it attackers, invaders. And, OK, what have we got that we can fight this with? Something that just occurred to me, if this was made in about 2000, so the one after the Jim Carrey one in 1995, if it had first been made in 2000, it would be very much like the 1997 movie Spawn. It would be a horrible, cheap, CG, like awful, like rubber suit, like humorless, like crappy action, like Wanda type film. And it would be horrible. Oh, now I'm sad again. (laughs) Yeah. See, right now, that reminds me, I was going to say this when you were talking about it before, but I didn't want to interrupt. Um, You said that the Raimi Spider-Man was the first wave of superhero movies. No, it was wave number two. Yeah, yeah, Sharon's right. There were were some sort of first tries. I think we did establish this when we, um, possibly when we were doing Spider-Man or maybe when we did Avengers. It was the, the idea being that when Marvel finally got their own studios in 2008, that was the third wave after... They had there had been some sort of like half-assed efforts throughout the nineties. Was Punisher, Captain America? There was one more as well. There was a Nick Fury film, the Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four, the the Russ Meyer one. I meant Roger Corman one there, but for some reason I said Russ Meyer. It, I'm going to leave that in because if you know what Russ Meyer movies are like, the idea of that being the Fantastic Four, pretty funny. Boobtastic Four. Oh, and the other Marvel movie I couldn't remember was Howard the Duck. Actually, yeah, Fantastic Four occurred to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're, that's that's okay. <laughs> there is an example of Reed and Sue of a mature, married in the comics relationship between two consenting adults who have to basically live with each other, and the uh, intensity of their initial romance has gone, and they have to basically sort of adapt to living. Um, you know, day to day with these two superpowered children uh, in the shape of Johnny and uh, Ben. You know, they're not literally their children, but they represent these two younger, you know, siblings of the of Marvel's first family. But that's never going to happen if fucking Fox don't stop fucking restarting the fucking Fantastic fucking Four and keeping them young and stupid. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the fucking Fanforstic. Fucking Fanforstic. Right now it is. They're keeping hold of that shit. They've got it for another seven years or so. They're like, no, these are my toys. I mean, like, we've got time for them to finally go. Just have it back. But Simon Kinberg's been talking about, oh, yeah, the whole, the, 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 the synergy of the massive shared universe we've got between X-Men and Deadpool and Wolverine and, well, maybe not Wolverine, but definitely the Fantastic Four. <laughs> and it's like, oh, just, just let that one drop, okay? You don't need the Fantastic Four. You've proved over and over again you can't do it. But that would be an example of two grown-up superheroes. Because, like, even Tony and Pepper, 
he's so juvenile that you don't really get that sort of two adults in a relationship type thing. The closest you really get was their whispering in, in Avengers. But even that, it's, it's a bit honeymoon. Relationship of equals, not really. He's still acting like a massive kid. She's still cleaning yeah, up. They don't have to compromise so much with each other. Well, he doesn't have to compromise with her. And if you're a teenager and you've actually managed to go through a relationship where you do have to compromise a hell of a lot, then you'll know what that feels like. Otherwise, you've got that to look forward to. But it's it's a rarity in superhero movies. I was worried when it first, like literally when it first hit the screen and was starting to be massively popular. I was like, hang on, is this going to be one of those movies that like bros get hold of and they're like super possessive of and they don't let anyone else like it? Because if you if you like it, you're liking it wrong. Um, you know, kind of like that. I'm sure there will be yeah, some of that. But I haven't encountered much of it yet. I think it's too big for that yeah. at this point. Because it's an R-rated movie that's doing basically uh, Marvel on their good days yeah. business. And I mean, uh, the, 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 the ones you can compare it to um, are uh, Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions, which I believe it's done better than in, in just in terms of time scale. For, for those first few weeks, but also Watchmen, which was the big, the great R-rated hope uh, by Zack Snyder. You know, this is a prestigious film that, um, you know, uh, yeah, based on the only comic book that ever turns up in like, you know, top 50 books of all time lists. Um, you know, they, they, they sort of go, well, I suppose if you're going to talk about graphic novels, then I suppose Watchmen could get in there. But uh, we'll put that at number 47 because it's really not all that important when you hold it up against great works of literature. But, you know, Watchmen didn't do anywhere near as gangbusters as it should have done or could have done. And if it had been enjoyable enough to get this kind of crowd in, God knows what the uh, cinematic landscape would have been like between then in 2010 and now. It's possible Watchmen just came a little bit too early because, again, that was 2009. Mm. That was post-Raimi Spider-Man and post-Batman Begins and barely post-Dark Knight. You hadn't had the, the Marvel explosion that we have now. And so the the really dark truth of what superheroes would do to our world that's explored in that, I, I don't think that hit the way it would have if it came out maybe now. I know for sure that if Hancock came out in a few months' time, inst- instead of back in when it did come out in 2008, it would do way better now because people are totally ready for scumbag superheroes. Fellas, fellas. Hey, I don't give a shit what you did. I don't care. Three guys in the car, no girls, rave music. Hey, I'm not going to judge. But if you don't pull over and give yourselves up quietly, I swear to Christ, your head is going up the driver's ass. His head is going up your ass. And you drew the short stick because your head is going up my ass. I will continue to like Hancock. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> they call me Deadpool, I'm hella fast. Came to mark the bad guys and get some ass. Got blades for days, got guns galore. Got combo moves, evades and more. With bear traps and hand grenades. Pull the pistol like a maniac right in your face. Popping off caps, leave a trail of guts. Sitting on my chair, scratching my nuts. Don't stop when I shoot full water was on. Your ass is grass and I'm on the lawn. Hot lead to the head and I won't stop. What your crew gonna do when I hack and chop? All these pictures are prima donnas. I stuff my face with chimichangas. Tacos and beers, I was keeping it loose. Hang on for a minute while I'm dropping a deuce. What should they avoid in the sequel? 
fridging the girlfriend. Fuck yeah. She actually <laughs> did get killed in the comics. Um, Sabretooth killed her. Uh, that's uh, she. Vanessa becomes Copycat, who's an actual uh, like a superhero type herself in her own right. She's got blue skin, and then she got killed. And uh, just just to bring that out of Deadpool and so to move him on so that he can have relationships with other people. He actually had a relationship with well, Siren he... in the uh, comics as well. If you remember, there was actually like a girl with a sonic scream in the background, one of uh, um, Brian Singer's many background characters in X2. Well, wasn't she yeah. ahead? But she was 10 back in 2002, which means it's not quite so illegal now. No, she wouldn't have been oh. 10. She'd have been like 15. Carry on, sorry. Instead of just killing the established stable love interest to free up the main hero what if their relationship just ended up being really good but in the long run just not working mm. and it just ended up as friends and it did just kind of yeah yeah they just parted as you know adults what? dealt with it relatively maturely yeah worst example of fridging that and i can think of actually comes in that movie i just compared the possible sequel to deadpool to Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. They fridge the living fuck out of Vanessa by turning her into a fembot in a way that makes you think, well, so what happened in that first film then? Who was that? It, it fucks the first film. <laughs> Carry on, Kieran, sorry. No, that, that's really the only kind of... Um, that's the only point regarding that relationship on uh, what, was, what was brought up earlier is the fact that so often when you want to kind of free up the hero or don't know what to do with the relationship it's just kind of sudden tragic drama death mm. thing but it i mean it doesn't matter what they what they've been through and all the all the previous stuff that they've been through doesn't guarantee that their relationship is going to be solid forever even the best born movie and suffers from that born supremacy there you go oh he's got to go on the run again but uh, so i suppose yeah boom another thing i think the with the sequel is I really hope they keep the references as relatively light as they did in this one. Because it's it's so easy to just kind of, right, they really liked that kind of joke. Yeah. Let's keep Overload doing it. that kind yeah. of joke. Yeah, You have to think of it like uh, uh, making a cocktail. Ultimately, just chucking in huge amounts of extra blavod black vodka just because people like the, 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 the heady taste of it in the first time, it'll fuck up the balance of the cocktail. you got to... Hold it back. Make yeah. sure it's just the right amount again. I may be in the minority here. I mean, I'm sure I'm in the minority on the internet, but I may be in the minority in this group. I'm not sure I want a Deadpool. Well, scene. again, tough. It's happening. I'm, I'm with there. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the the only way that they were able to to pull it off and to make it as good as it was this time was because they kept splicing in bits of the origin story and bits of when he wasn't yeah. Deadpool and he was only really Deadpool for about a half yeah. an hour and I think an entire movie of Deadpool would just drive me crazy so if you blend it with another character and then just have Deadpool pepper that film so he's there for a bit and then go uh, yeah, away what, and then make Cable and Deadpool a lot more about Cable and then whenever Deadpool turns up it's like yay Deadpool's here as opposed to hmm, this guy's wearing out his yeah. welcome Exactly. I, I mean, ideally, I think I would like to just see him sort of folded into the X Men movies, which I think could, I think it would be hilarious to see him in a now to see him in a PG thirteen mm. movie and have them like he would start to say something and have them censor him and then have him get pissed off. What I can't even say. 
like being bleeped. Yeah, exactly. What if they did fold him more into an X-Men film, but he was the antagonist hmm. to a point? Because essentially the stuff he's doing is... Illegal? <laughs> you just kind of amp that up Not a little help bit. Mutant relations? And it's stuff the X-Men would want to stop. Please, I am He's definitely all hurting about them, mutant yeah. relations. Former Q ladies. Well, just... <laughs> just on the on the sort of like broader scale they're gonna have to be really careful with deadpool because deadpool is essentially yeah. it's a comedy and when you're doing a sequel to a comedy there's there's always a problem of repeating the magic that made the first one work ghostbusters 2 uh, is a kind of prime example of this and ghostbusters 2 just does not work the way ghostbusters does i like it but it's far far uh, like it's a much lesser film and if you're going to make a comedy sequel that works, uh, you're going to have to basically do things very, very differently. Uh, if you've seen 22 Jump Street, that's an example of sort of meeting that challenge head on. That was the on. exact one I was thinking of in terms of how they, they get it so good that second time that it's, it's brilliant in its own right. Exactly. And they do it partly by acknowledging even in the context of the film, you can't just do the first one all over again. So with Deadpool, they're going to have to be very careful in a way that Marvel doesn't have to be because their films are kind of comedy yeah. second. Uh, whereas if your film is comedy first, you're always trying to sort of uh, get those expectations. And, and part of Deadpool's success, I think, is, again, that no one was really expecting it to be. Yes. One and now you've, he's going to be brimful of expectation. Especially when you consider all of the shitty knockoff Deadpool superhero movies that we're going to see between now oh, and yeah. Deadpool yeah. 2. Yeah. Oh, I guarantee you right now, Suicide Squad, they are adding R-rated elements to it right now, and there's a like a 75% chance that we'll see an R-rated Suicide Squad yeah. in August. I would imagine it'll be a lot of Harley Quinn talking directly to us. That's a nice and easy thing to film, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things that has been bugging me in kind of um, in, in a lot of the aftermath of this is there is such a focus on it being r-rated but that's not why mm-hmm. it's good and there just seems to be every every kind of the positive reviews and all that is great but there's just such a focus on the r-rating part of it that i feel people might end up taking away the wrong reason as to why yeah. it worked out it's not tits and blood folks that's <laughs> that's not the secret that's not the the magic rosetta stone of why it actually worked it's uh that's just that's just the the, the shallow thing that this appears to have that um that other superhero movies yeah. don't appear to have ultimately this has what other superhero movies have as well which is you know really nice uh, characters that you want to see more of. Uh, what other great superhero movies have as well? Um, but that also goes for other great movies. This this has a compelling, challenging, and lampooning conventions of Jump Street. I actually said to you, Sharon, that as we we, we uh, left the cinema, that was less a sort of a, a Spider-Man film and more a payback meets Twenty One Jump Street, just mashed together. Mm. That's one thing I'd like to see uh, sort of fall by the wayside um, in terms of just public mm-hmm. perception. I don't know that it will, but I'd, I'd like to see people stop thinking about superhero movies as a yeah, genre. No, yeah. It's like comic books. It's mm-hmm. a medium. It's it's a way of presenting any type of story. And I think that they've started to prove that with like Jessica Jones and Powers and this and uh winter soldier is an again another a great example of taking 
the superhero medium and telling a spy thriller mm. with it. I've compared it to musicals in the past, the idea being that like Les Miserables is, is very different from Chicago or South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just something that uh, it's a tool set, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to use all those tools in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I think it comes down to, can you say, I like musicals, I like superhero mm. movies, and I would argue that in this day and age, no, you can't. You, you have mm. to specify. Is Guardians of the Galaxy a superhero movie? Yeah. No, exactly. it's a space opera. And yet we're sort of cl- classifying it with all of the other ones. <laughs> so and what Deadpool is a romantic comedy. Slash revenge thriller. Romantic comedy. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say revenge comedy, so there we go. A romantic revenge comedy. Mm. Uh, Jesse just asked, are we going to talk about the marketing campaign at all? Somehow you managed to ask without your voice. I don't know, it just that the words turned up in my head. Yeah, we are. Um, that, that might be one of the best reasons why uh, this is doing so incredibly well. It's all over social media. It's basically Deadpool crammed into other... Um, like that weird little poses, you know, lampooning other movies. He, there was a the, the leaked footage that basically created the talking about it in the first place, uh, which mm-hmm. was accidentally leaked to the public. Did, did you hear uh, Ryan Reynolds say in an interview that he's seventy percent sure that? It wasn't him? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's but that's great. That the fact that he was like, we've really got to make this, and that that he cares about this. That people respond well to that. The fact that Deadpool kept showing up in these different posters all over the place. Not to mention a series of mini shorts at Christmas, the Twelve Days of Deadpool, all of which led up to that final trailer. Hi, I'm Deadpool, the other jolly guy in a red suit with a laugh worth sitting on. Here to tell you, happy holidays. In the spirit of this most festive time of year, I've decided to release my holiday cheer all over the world. How, you ask? Well, you naughty stocking stuffers, brace yourselves, because starting today, you're getting not one, not two, but 12 glorious days of Deadpool. The 12 Days of Deadpool starts now. Each day a new site will debut a tasty treat, and on the 25th, the sweetest gift of all, a brand new Deadpool trailer. So sit back, hold on to your ornaments, Guzzle a little eggnog, at least that looks like eggnog, and prepare yourself because it's time for St. Wade to put the win in Winter Wonderland. <coughs> Deadpool, in theaters February 12th. What was that? that glue? Yeah, My I, personal I think... favorite is the, the black and white with Ryan Reynolds and Marina Becker in, and it's in the romantic comedy mm-hmm. pose. Yeah. And I think it even says a romantic comedy starring. Right. Oh, that was nice. Love that Never loves... Dies or something like that. It's something yeah. like that. Also yeah. coming out on Valentine's like... Day weekend, that was a huge good mm-hmm. idea. Because the, the, there sure. is a massive contingent of this audience. And there's teenage males going to see this in droves, but there are couples going to see this in droves as well. They're like, you know, what should we see this Valentine's Day? Well, everyone's talking about Deadpool. That seems good. Let's go see that then. There's just enough, like, sort of focusing on Ryan Reynolds' ass in the trailers and things for for ladies to go, maybe there'll be something in there for me as well. And it turns out there's quite a lot in there for ladies. Frankly, it's not just his ass. It's also his sense of humor. (laughs) And his penis. And his chest. (laughs) 
<laughs> is it possible penis. Deadpool's actual dick will get blown off in the next one? I mean, we've already seen that in Jump Street, but um, but they could definitely do it quite a bit with that. I'm going to get my dick back. No, no, he doesn't have to. He'll just regrow. <laughs> No, but then you've got him being incredibly despondent while it's really, really tiny. Oh. <laughs> be the opposite of the yeah. movie hand. Like maybe just he could make a reference to the first movie by literally chopping off his hand so that it'll at least it'll be the same size and it'll just it'll be to scale. <laughs> I was also That's pretty surprised. So disturbing. By the- oh god. I was also pretty surprised by the age range this has because, of course, there are a couple teenagers. I was literally in front of a senior citizen couple that, that was like two seniors for the 430 Deadpool. That that was a thing wow. that happened, and it was, it was a kind of adorable, and I was kind of surprised were you because, for them? like, oh god, these poor old people are going to be offended. No, no, I, I figured, I figured she's like, you know what, you guys are probably fine. You you lived through all the crap during like Vietnam mm. America stuff. You know, you're you're probably okay. This is yeah, it. Wasn't bad. a case of our well, two also, tickets for Dirty Harry and the Deadpool. I love that movie. <laughs> also, if you think about it, a, a senior is what sixty, sixty-five. Yeah. How old is Deadpool as a character? How long has he existed? So. 26 years. Okay, so they could feasibly have got into yeah, him. Yeah, not a lot of 40-year-olds were reading comics in the ninth, early 90s. If you were, you're in the minority, folks, but well done. To be fair, most of the uh, older people that I know are among the raunchiest, dirtiest, funniest people I know. Lucky you. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, it, it's the the idea the the idea of the like old grandma being, uh, you know, being sort of sheltered and 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 shocked by these sort of things is is completely foreign to me because I've got like my grandma makes sex jokes to make my sister uncomfortable. Nice. <laughs> Well, we're yeah. now talking people who were born. Yeah, there's a generational thing. If they were born before that, all they were like is Werther's Originals and Emmerdale Farm. But, <laughs> just, but after you that, know. now we're going to get the cool old people. Hmm. I See, will we're, not we're hear words spoken we're, we're, <laughs> Okay, country we're kitchen old. then. We have old grandparents. You're going to slap me with your liver spotted For hands? the record... <laughs> Uh, for the record, my mom is 68, and she was like, so when are we going to see nice. Deadpool? I was like, you do know what this is about, right? She's like, yeah, it's going to be Your good, right? sound awesome. Like, we got to go see the latest like, superhero okay, movie, Sonny. You don't really get that much of a choice in it. <laughs> I hear there's a pegging scene in it. <laughs> she giggled. Oh, my God. I heard it from next to next to me when oh, that scene that popped up. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh my god! I can't even imagine watching that scene with my mother. Oh god, that is the stuff Your of nightmares. Like- okay, speaking of not for kids. Oh my god! Oh my! God. There were so many kids. They're gonna eat me. <laughs> Shitty parents yeah. taking them to see it. Really? You should exactly. Just but I parents with kids. <laughs> you are the worst parents in the world. Get out, or at least send the kids out. Like I didn't see any of them get up and leave at any point either. That that also worried me. But uh, one, that leads me to wonder if maybe the marketing campaign wasn't a little yeah. too effective. Well, I mean that's the, that's the thing. It's like the original. Was anyone around in 1993 when Mortal Kombat came out? The original game, the arcade yes. game. I was, I was alive. Yeah, right. Oh yeah. Well, if you can remember, basically <laughs> that, that that there was a catchment area 
that was basically children who are a little bit too old. Like basically, if you're if you're the ideal person to 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 find this game, the best game in the world, you're too young to play it. And they're going to basically the people who think that the, that Deadpool is going to be the best movie in the world are sh- definitely too young to watch it. But you can think it's awesome and be the right age. <laughs> I think that Chipman said something to that effect, which is basically, you know, that the the ideal um, audience will be the kids sneaking in to see it, although they really, really shouldn't. Well, on the plus side, parents who let their kids see it will then have to explain to their kids what pegging yeah. is. So, diagrams. <laughs> no, she was just pinching him. Uh... <laughs> yes, I swear. <laughs> What would you like to see in the sequel, then? We've already said what we don't want to see. I just want to be kind of... I, I know it's wishlisting a bit, but I just want to be sort of surprised mm. by it still. Because one of the things that you, we, you were saying earlier that worked in its favour is the fact that it wasn't expected yeah. to be like this. Whereas expectation's going to work against it next time. Very much so. Being as comedy is based around... Extra tough. <laughs> Do you think there'll be a Wolverine Deadpool? I mean, basically, they, they, if they just put a dump truck of money in front of uh, Hugh Jackman's house and say, Hugh, we know you said you were done after Wolverine 3. Wolverine Deadpool? Because, I mean, he would work as a great straight man and keep cutting bits off him. That would be good. Yeah. Well, Reynolds has said that X-Force is a is like a priority for him now, and putting Wolverine in that seems like a pretty yeah, natural Wolverine thing. Wolverine has been in X-Force for quite a few years now. X-Force are like arsehole X-Men who do horrible black ops things. It's actually quite sinister, because if you think about it, like, like, is Charles Xavier condoning this? Or was he dead when it got formed? I know that Cable was running X-Force off, off, the, off the map originally. Well, the whole, wasn't the whole point originally that the, the New Mutants had been formed under Xavier and they were ridiculously dissatisfied with the way they were being yeah. treated? So we don't like you, old man. We're going to go off with this other old man. He's got guns and a cyborg arm and a cyborg eye. He's like the 90s just birthed the ultimate 90s character and Cable. I'm surprised he's taken this long to be, so to be bought in. But, uh, yeah. I'm not. They have been so desperate not to have the X-Men keyed up with the yeah. 90s. I would like to see a lot more Morena Baccarin in the sequel. I want if if they're going to keep her around, I want her to do the do the superhero suit thing. Everything. Yes. There was that one bit. I'm going to I wasn't talking about that. <laughs> Although Morena Baccarin is a she gorgeous is woman, so goddamn talented, and th- that's another thing. Actually, I'm really happy that she's finally in a massively popular movie because Serenity wasn't. Right. <sighs> But yes, I, I want her to get to do the superhero thing in the sequel. That that bit where she stabbed people, she can do that more. Maybe yeah. all the time. She doesn't necessarily have to be an action hero type girl, but you know there are other things girls can do to have agency that they aren't just fighting and killing. But she's going to have to be uh, unkillable to still be around him. Is the thing. Say the magic words, fat Gandalf. <laughs> Go cast a spell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to see if they're gonna do another Deadpool movie, which yeah. they are. As much as I don't want to see it, I, I think 
I would like to see them do sort of the way that this first movie was able to spend most of the movie taking the piss out of superhero movies in general. I think the next movie is going to kind of try to have to focus on taking the piss sequels. out of the of the either sequels or the mature again the shitty Deadpool clones that are going to come between now and then. Yeah. I think it's going to have to be <laughs> Do you think Deadpool's going to end up fighting like... a whole bunch of his own clones? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a that nice match. Well, if it's a Deadpool grow more Deadpool. Didn't they do that in the comics like he had I've seen yeah. something where he like had every drop of his blood like made another clone at one point, and they like destroyed an entire planet and then killed each other to where they were. <laughs> that that's a, a possibility. Um, I, I would okay. They could go wild and crazy and wacky and, and really meta, but ultimately it's going to need heart. To, to be able to survive yes. and to be able to match its uh, original. Because no matter how many inventive ideas you throw at it, um, the, the reason that I think people are responding so well are because they just like the characters. It's a really simple, straightforward thing, and it's something that executives don't really get or understand how to quantify. Like, well, how much money do we need to spend to make the characters likable? I don't know, just cast some really good actors and make sure the writing's really tight, you know? It's actually not that difficult. They make it so much more complicated than it needs to be with all their metrics. They're going to have to do some... They're going to have to find some way of, again, limiting the amount of actual Deadpool we get. They need to be able to find something, and maybe it's Cable, um, or find something that they can cut away to just as he starts to overstay his Because when he turns up, you've got not only the amount of de- time Deadpool's been in, in this movie, but the amount of time you've watched Deadpool in all the other movies. Well, the, the amount of times you've seen him recently. Remember Jack Sparrow, round two? Hmm. <laughs> Lost a bit of the shine. <laughs> round three? Get the fuck out of here, Johnny. Ooh, ooh, what about round yeah, four? So, There still, is no round here. four. Exactly. Wait, but was there I, a I round really... four? There was. Get ready for Look, round was five. There... Was was there really? Oh Jesus! No, no, I'm just in <laughs> it's denial. On Stranger Tides. <laughs> Not very good. And by the way, in case you folks are uh, wondering I... why we aren't doing parts of the Caribbean movies yet, um, most of them aren't very good. <laughs> first one's great, <laughs> but um, you know, if we do the first one, we got to do the second, third, fourth. You have to do the rest. I think Transformers do... was painful yeah. enough for you guys. I don't. I don't think you need to do Pirates again. Or maybe def- maybe just do the you, first you do one. one episode. Yeah, you do one episode for the first one, and then you do like a half an hour episode on the other three. Just yeah. done. See, you solved it. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think uh, what yeah they need to find another story yeah. to yeah. tell that they can just drape Deadpool on as as, as dressing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, enough of him to still be the Deadpool movie. But they really need to be telling something else. Maybe it could be from some big epic Marvel thing, but from his point of view <clears> or something. Because well, I really think that, like, like you guys are saying, a Deadpool sequel, it, it's they're gonna try to run it into the ground, and it's it's gonna it's gonna lose all of and its I fun. I am son of Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the costume. No one's mentioned well, the costume yet. Like the most comic accurate costume that they've made so far. It's awesome. I also love that we got to see the evolution of the costume. Yes. That <laughs> we actually got to see them. Like the, there were so many great things that they did to to just pace this movie in terms of really, really quickly 
t- illustrate the passage of time, like the sex scenes that you guys were talking about earlier, is was a wonderful way of in. 30 or 40 seconds to demonstrate that these two had been growing together for a year. And the costume, the, the different iterations of the costume where he would try something and then go try something else and fix what needed to be done, again, over the course of two or three minutes, showed us the several months that it took for him to really become Deadpool. And it was a really nice, really quick montage and very effective. Also, Vanessa hair. The yeah. way it grew out over the course of their relationship. And that's that's twofold. That shows the passage of time. And it also shows her relaxing into the relationship. Mm-hmm. Do you suppose they did that backwards? Yes. Yeah. In terms of just like filming the scenes in yeah, reverse yeah, and cutting yeah, her hair each time. That would make mm. sense. Or she just had a wig, but it, it made more sense to... Uh, the easiest way to tell is to see what she's doing for interviews right now. Is, is her hair long? Or Yeah, that's true. Another thing I like the costume. I really liked. Whoop. Oh, I really ahead. liked that you couldn't tell exactly when he he became a CG Deadpool. I think you might be able to. In well, future. wasn't he mostly wearing the costume with the CG only for really obnoxious stunts and the face? I I think so. I think it was mostly either him or the stuntman yeah. in a costume. But there wasn't that obvious. Oh well, now he's CG. Like there was. It was sort of obvious from what he was doing but not from watching it. You know, the, the millennial rubber was not so apparent that True. I wanted to vomit. I think basically just like when a film is bad, all, yeah, we've already said this, all the bad effects, you just go, Argh! but when a film is good, you just don't mind because it's, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's got a low budget. We all kind of just give that a pass. I'm sure there'll be the little shots which bug me in years to come, but um, I think ultimately the, the core movie will push through. One thing that kind of, has anyone ever watched the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon? Wait, was oh, that the good one or the bad one? That's the good. bad one. The bad one is uh, Ultimate right. Spider-Man. That little prick, Peter Parker, keeps breaking the fourth wall and talking to us anyway. So it's like, well, what are they going to do when they stick Deadpool in there? Here's what they're going to do. He's unbearable. Like He's just like, yeah, dude, excellent. Yeah. It's just like, oh, oh. <laughs> he's supposed like to annoy the heroes he's with, not us, the audience. <laughs> I missed your laugh the most, Tiger. And I mean that for realsies. BFFs? Okay? Ugh. Anyone smell barbecue bug? It's been kind of a rough day. I'm... Extremely ripe! Yeesh! Here. <laughs> Strong enough for a man, but made for a spider. <coughs> so, you're Fury's newest guppy. Arachnaboy, right? Big fan, big fan. I follow all your flops on superhero fans. <laughs> Words cannot express how much I hate this train wreck of a cartoon. I cannot tell you how much I hate Ultimate Spider-Man. Spectacular Spider-Man. Greatest ever Spider-Man incarnation in any medium. Cancelled. And this is its replacement. And it's still going. And it's infected other media. This is the version of Spider-Man in Disney Infinity. We can't get away from this. It's dug in. It's like the Star Wars prequels. Alternatively, this is Nolan North, uh, Nathan Drake's appearance as Deadpool in the Hulk vs. Wolverine animated short. Very, very small dose of Deadpool and extremely funny. Logan, we missed you. That Web and X just hasn't been the same without you. Nobody calls me Bub anymore. And Omega Red's a bedwetter. 
One day I will tear out your tongue, son. He's very ashamed. Despite Deadpool's idiocy, Weapon X is indeed pleased to have you back, Logan. We put considerable time and money into you. And pointy things! For the sequel, um, a good way of taking the focus away from Deadpool a bit and still making it its own distinct thing, and is um, a more interesting and compelling yeah. villain to focus on. Because that's much more of a natural sort of uh, point and counterpoint between the yeah. two. And if it's mm-hmm. going to be Cable... Strictly speaking, it should be Apocalypse, although I suppose you could bring in Strife if you want to go full 90s. That's... Sinister? I can see Deadpool having fun with uh, a Cable and a Did someone just say Sinister? Yeah, Yeah. I did. Not actually out of the question. Admittedly, that's because he was the bad guy in the game. Essex would... You know what? After Apocalypse, Sinister would be a good next X-Men character, but I I also want Cable to be in that X-Men film. He'd be a good logical progression. Yeah, make that one all about um, the Summers think, family, you know? Yeah. You, you can't do Strife without Cable, I don't think. And if you do Cable, then Sinister is kind of a, a logical way to go. Oh, actually, hang on. We're gonna, I'm going I'm to get weird Terminator Genesis flashbacks where, like, Gene and Scott are teenagers and they've got this great big lumbering, giant, muscular man going, you have to fuck, otherwise I can never be... Oh, Jesus. Actually, actually, <laughs> just for kicks, it's not actually you who is Samaza. It is actually a clone of you, Kale, called Madeline Pryor, who will die. And uh, they send the baby into the future, and it is me. Hello. Colossus, why are you doing a cable not impression? Colossus. Colossus sounds much like this. You forget top of the morning to you by House of Pain when introduced Bullseye. (laughs) His best soundtrack is always on my mini disc. (laughs) (laughs) Does Colossus have a Zune? (laughs) Oh, now I'm sad. (laughs) Well, as far as other things that I'd really like to see in the sequel, I just want to see the same kind of care to storycraft and setting up and paying off because. There's a lot of things that are paid for very well in this movie, like the match that he uses to free himself or the photo that gets taken that leads to them finding Vanessa or the, the literal Chekhov's gun that he uses to kill, um, to kill Ajax or, or Francis. Um, there, it's, it's a very smartly written script in spite of being goofy and dumb in a lot of ways. And I, I want them to do that again yeah. in the sequel because I, I just – I really love seeing smartly functional stories – even if they're draped with all kinds of ridiculous wackiness like Don't this was. Don't send anyone to meddle with the gonna... script, for the love of Christ. Yeah. Well, they had the same guys on it from, like, minute one. It was Reese and Wernick hmm. all the way through. They didn't get replaced like so many script, script and writers And from the sounds did. of it, most of the movie is as they wrote it years ago, which is great. And uh, Tim Tim Miller Miller uh, basically cut his teeth at Marvel doing a sort of animated CG uh, uh, little mini movies to raise awareness of Iron Man because at the time uh, prior to the movie kids didn't even know who he was so it was like hey kids you, do you like this guy um, and yeah clearly that was you know being his forte of sort of like bringing out the best in uh, in CGI characters which no one's ever heard of so really it's it's this almost is, this is his first full-length it is. director role, It's almost right? like they, they shouldn't carry on with Deadpool. Just keep doing that with other X-Men characters. Like, we've had Deadpool. He's great. Now, here's... Uh, who's another X-Men character we don't know much about and haven't really been in movies? 
Boom boom. Boom boom. Yeah. The movie. I've got I've gotta go boom boom. <laughs> <sighs> I, I don't know. They 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 could do a whole bunch of, of of different ones. If Fox are going to carry on with this and like you know, keep jealously guarding it. It kind of makes sense that there are two universes that keep going because ultimately how would Marvel really manage to cram in the X-Men stuff amongst the rest of their schedule? Yeah. You know? They're already going to three movies a year. If you cram in X-Men as well with that. So mm-hmm. I just wish that Fox had someone of more of a higher caliber than fucking... What's his name? Blandy McBland. Brown oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is you can't... Uh, another reason for not really integrating the two universes is that superheroes aren't really all that impressive in a world full of mutants. Yeah. They're just the ones who uh, are up themselves enough to appoint themselves as superheroes. Mm. Although, I mean, some of my absolute favorite comic uh, crossovers, the House of M being a particular one, um, really beautifully blend the X-Universe with the Avengers universe. And uh, I haven't loved anything as much as House of M since House of M, but it's a really excellent story where um, Wanda the Scarlet Witch... Um, believes she has had two children, but actually hasn't, and so has a breakdown and changes the entire world. And because every up until that point, everyone's very, very scared of her because her powers are growing so strong that she could pretty much do anything. Um, so she gives all the mutants exactly what they've wanted the most, where it's a society where mutants are not only accepted but celebrated. And um, it's it's really excellent. I, I recommend folks uh, go check that out. The House of M, just the the original seven book, um, sorry, seven issue uh, series written by Brian Michael Bendis, and there are a bunch of other sort of accompanying comics to go with it. Ah, oh, Bendis is so good. Yep. Any more on Deadpool? I would just like to point out best opening credits ever. Pretty they much. They were awesome. <laughs> Definitely the best I've seen since Watchmen in terms of the the opening credits being used as used as something more than just credits. Yes, to mm-hmm. to his credit, um, Zack Snyder was uh, excellent visual storytelling there with uh, with um, Watchmen. Also, best yeah. Stan Lee cameo ever. Yes, <laughs> it was pretty good. At the moment, I still one. like the 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 one in Mallrats more than anything, just because he actually gets to properly act. I still think he should have been the guy who gives the, the trousers to uh, Hulk in Avengers rather than Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, speaking of cameos, did anyone spot the Rob Liefeld cameo? I did. He, he literally name-checks him. Liefeld! Yeah. yeah, but it happened so fast, I didn't spot it the first time. Yeah, I, I missed it. When does that happen? It's in the bar before he meets um, Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Also, um, on the coffee cup uh, in the opening credits was yep. Rob L., Oh, oh nice. yeah, That's I true. saw that too. Yeah, a couple of Green Lantern references in there as well. Do you think that Warner Brothers might go, Ryan, Ryan? Do you want to come back and be Green Lantern for us? <laughs> Suddenly you're hot shit. Do you think he'd say yes? No, say no. Uh-huh. no. Well, there's an outside chance Deadpool will make a billion dollars. I don't think he has to say yes. God, <laughs> it's an outside chance, but still. I'm going to look at the most that an, a rated R movie has ever made. Uh, American, no, Passion of the Christ, maybe? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Or The Matrix Reloaded? 
Yeah, Reload. I was thinking was Matrix huge. Reloaded. Yeah. Highest, uh, Passion of the, you're absolutely right. Passion of the Christ, number, numero uno. Saving Private well, Ryan's number three. American Sniper's number four. Yeah. Passion makes sense because it effectively got two opening weekends because it opened on Christmas and then they played it again on Easter. Opened on Christmas? Why? Because yeah. everyone's thinking about Jesus, but yeah. they're thinking about baby Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Nothing says the Christmas spirit like watching a snuff film. Oh, God. <laughs> it's a... Oh, oh, you know... Mm, okay. We're not doing one on that. Right. Passion. <laughs> inflation adjusted. Its total gross was $370 million And Matrix Reloaded, to 281 Is that just... Is that just domestic gross? That's just domestic, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Let me just go back. So that seems very low otherwise. Oh, also okay. the best ending credits scene ever in a Marvel yeah. movie. <laughs> yes. <That's> pretty good. <clears throat> I, I, I was quite enjoying the fact that there were only certain members of the audience who were like, that is brilliant. And other members were like, what's with the dressing gown? <laughs> they got that it was still like you know, everything about that scene, but they didn't get mm-hmm. the meta level of it. And that's fine. Right. <laughs> I also quite enjoyed the little animated stuff they were doing at the very end. Or not at the yes. very end, but during the... the yeah, where, where he's wanking off a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. My mom giggled at that, too. It was so weird. <laughs> For Your those, mom sounds rad as hell. Let's <laughs> keep in count. Deadpool's currently at number 19 in the uh, top-ranking R-rated movies. Uh, before it comes, Passion, American Sniper, Matrix Reloaded, The Hangover, Hangover 2, Beverly Hills Cop 1, The Exorcist, Ted, Saving Private Ryan, 300, Wedding Crashes, T2, Judgment Day. That was rated R. Was it yep. really? Yeah. Huh. It felt so PG-13. 22 well, Jump Street, Gladiator, Pretty Woman, Something About Mary, Air Force One, Rain Man. Huh. Oh, Rain Man beat Deadpool. <laughs> At the moment, it'll, it'll, Deadpool will beat it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been out like a week and it's hit number 19. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to run and run. Are you considering buying this month's Empire? You should, because your favorite Merc with the Mouth hijacked the entire editorial staff and made the issue his very own. That's right. Empire's editors are locked in my crawl space, desperately longing for the sweet release of death. That left me time to fill these pages with whatever I wanted, meaning plenty of simple do-it-yourself recipes involving Cornish game hen, freshly pitted Greek olives, locally purchased deli meats, and wolf semen. Not to mention explicit pictures of me the ever-loving out of a weeping Kevin Sorbo on a bed of hot brown Hercules pantaloons. And that's not even the centerfold, which is wall-to-wall javelins ferret-chasing leprechauns, and a full transcript of at least three of my worst films. You get all of this set to my favorite country tune, You're Crying Hard, and I'm Hard, because you're crying. Purchase Empire today, and you'll receive, free of charge, three high-ranking hostages, and the complete sexual histories of several of the world's most trusted news anchors. But wait, there's more. You'll also get a limited edition eye infection, as well as backstage passes to my asshole. I know, right? Some things are too good to be true, and some things are just too good. On a personal note, this job makes me happier than a United States Senator on Hooker Monday. So what you waiting for? Buy the issue. The opinions expressed in this issue are exclusively those of the Prime Minister of England. Ding! Okay, um, thank you guys all so very, very much for coming on. It's been really great to talk about. Originally, when we got back from the cinema, we were delirious and we were like, Are you, you just like talk about this now? And I just said, right, okay. Flash Mob podcast. If if I get four guests in 10 minutes, 
we'll do a podcast on it tonight. And it was like uh, 11 was o'clock just, at that point. Yeah. And it was just me, right? I think only only Jesse. Was it Jesse? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so only you said uh, yeah, yes in time. The rest of you were all sort of, ah, oh, if only I'd been there. But uh, this has turned out way better because I've had time to think about it. So probably won't be doing any other flash mob type podcasts anytime <laughs> soon, unless it's for something which I'm totally compass mentis on. But um, it was fun. It was a fun try. Okay. Uh, anyone got anything they'd like to pimp before we go? Where, where can other people find you? I do the uh, Day One podcast on dayonepatch.com. Uh, we're also on uh, the SoundCloud. Um, and we just, for the holidays, did our Die Hard and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang holiday double feature. We didn't talk nearly enough about Alan Rickman, but those are two great non-conventional holiday movies. Mm-hmm. And I... I am also on uh, normannerd.blogspot.com where I recently published a Deadpool review if people want to read my language words. Yeah, as mentioned earlier on in the show, I am occasional co-host of a f- originally 40k-based podcast called theoverlords.co.uk. And so we just deal with a lot of Games Workshop-related board game nerdery. Yeah, if you're, if you're into 40k and want to hear some people talk about it, then it's definitely the place to go in addition to the other places to go. So, you know, I'm not your boss. <laughs> so I'm self-effacing. Really... This, if there's any podcast to be grandiose about something, it's this one. Exaggerate I'm... to hell. You, you, folks, <laughs> if you listen to his podcast, you will come rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom will be true. <laughs> uh, I'm really glad that I am not the most niche audience uh, here. <laughs> At least in 40K and, and tabletop. I'm like, really? So <laughs> I guess I'll go next then. Uh, I am – hi, I'm Chewy. I do a, a pair of Magic the Gathering podcasts, The Mana Pool, which you can find at themanapool.com and Monday Night Magic. So if you're at all into Magic the Gathering or just want to hear four people sit around shooting the breeze like old friends because we are, uh, then you should check that out. <clears throat> and I also have a YouTube channel where I play lots of – Hearthstone and magic-related things, but I recently, as in yesterday, now have the capability to record uh, console games, and I'm very excited about the possibilities. If nice. you listen to the Mana Pool, you will poop live kittens. Very. That cute. sounds horrifying. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> that does that's actually. Terrible. They'll be happy and grateful that you freed them. Yeah, but you won't. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll be tiny and malleable, so and it, it, scratchy it, and covered in shite. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God, are they in me right now? <laughs> um, okay, right. So has anyone ever been? Hang on, Brendan, Kieran. Has everyone gone? Oh, Jesse. Jesse. I don't have anything to pimp yet, but I may soon. <laughs> so, good at it. Nice. so folks I, I have watch nothing. this space because he <laughs> may be back pimping sometime soon <laughs> and oh Sharon actually you do have something to pimp I do I do yes um, uh, the... can't take <laughs> you anywhere as bad as I am um, yes I am co-hosting a new podcast on the Geek Planet Online network which is called the eclectic podcast and we have so far done one episode where we talked extensively about alan moore specifically two of his projects uh, watchmen and uh, v for vendetta 
This episode was brought to you by antiquatedtimes.com. If you want an antiquated product such as a penny farthing or a rigid airship or some threepenny bits or some gruel, just go to antiquatedtimes.com. Still kidding, we're entirely supported by Patreon. Thank you very much to everyone who helps us out every month. For folks who haven't listened to it yet, you might want to listen to my audio drama serial, New Century. It's entirely compelling. You can start at any of the multiple stories that are in there, and they all weave into this fantastic uh, shared multiverse now. It was a shared universe, now it's a shared multiverse. There's portals, you'll like it. Uh, start with Tiger's Eye or Secret Rooms. Wait a minute, speaking of New Century, I am still, after, I don't remember when we had you on uh, the Manipool, you and Sharon, but I am still, as recently as two days ago, getting people saying, you know what, I'm really glad that you pointed me in the direction of New Century. It's amazing, I've already burned through all of it, I'm listening to it again. Awesome. That is what I really love to hear. So I, while I haven't gotten around to New Century itself yet, I just listened to School of Movies religiously, but uh, I have heard good, nothing good. but universal acclaim for New Century. So I was going to say, yeah, apparently some people who, you, who like stuff you like say it's good. That yeah. should be good enough. One lady, a farmhand named Clora, confided in me and my traveling companion as the lion swooped over her. She caught sight of something on its back. Wait, you mean like a man? A shape. Maybe it was just part of the line, but it had a face. You think it could have been a chimera? How do you know about chimeras, Carl? Why are you so surprised, Cap? I done plenty of reading. Yeah, they got a goat head on their backs and a snake head on their tails, am I right? Well, yeah, but we've never seen one in America. Just because it's in books don't mean it's real. Besides, chimeras don't have wings. Well, maybe this one does. I never saw no goat head or a snake. I don't know, maybe it transforms. Was the thing on its back a goat, ma'am? No. Well, there you are, then. So, yeah, go check it out, Chewy. Daredevil. (laughs) (laughs) I can't listen to something that has plot while I'm driving. I just can't. (laughs) It has Hang On by Seether in it. (laughs) (laughs) And... Right Before Your Eyes by Hoobastank. Seriously, check out the uh, the Daredevil soundtrack. It's uh, it, it's full of... <laughs> also, check out We Hate Movies. They just did... Uh, they just covered Dead... Uh, they did? Dead Devil. Ah! Dead it's Devil. gone full Deadpool. circle. Yeah. I almost said Deadpool. It's actually Daredevil. Bollocks. Okay. Right. No more teasing Cherie about confusing those two. I'm not allowed. <laughs> Okay. Listening back to myself on this episode during the edit, I've interrupted these guys way too much. Uh, It's made a lot worse by a weird glitch in the recording process, which for some reason put my track ever so slightly before theirs, which makes it seem often like I'm answering their questions psychically before they've even actually finished asking them, uh, which makes me seem either like super smart or super rude. Uh, I'm, well, can't claim to be not guilty of either of them, unfortunately. But the end result is uh, a less neatly ordered show than normal where we all seem to talk over each other a lot more. Awesome. Thank Thanks you, sir. Yeah, Thanks a lot, Alex. This Thanks was a lot of fun. Me on. No I got problem. to be on an actual episode, not like on a goofy over-the-top episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time we're, we're rumbling about a movie. We don't normally, but next time we are and you want to come on, that that's absolutely cool. cool. Yeah. And that goes for all of you as well. So, yeah. right. you, you've oh, you've passed you. the test, the first one. <laughs> 
not being a douchebag who won't let anyone else talk. So that's my job. Did you? <laughs> Alex, I'm really glad you said that. So I, was I was, I was about <clears throat> nothing. <laughs> Look, he edits the podcast. He gets to do that. That's, that's true. Than yeah. I used to. Man, if you listen to me back in the day, I was just like, oh, you've talked for two seconds. Okay. I guess that means I can talk again now. <laughs> just a little <laughs> it is okay. something i've gotten better at over the years like i'm i'm the, the main guy on, on my shows and it's so nice it used to be stressful to come on a show that's not mine mm-hmm. but it's so nice now to just i don't have to worry about any of this shit <laughs> yeah just everyone can talk for three hours just leave me with the work that's fine <laughs> Uh, this will be a fairly easy so one to do. Uh, yeah, this will be a fairly easy one to, to listen back to and just you know trim out trim out the uh, the trips. But um, it's got a great you know soundtrack. We didn't mention Junkie XL, the guy behind um, oh, uh, yeah. Mad Max uh, Beyond uh, Beyond <laughs> Fury Road. I think he was in diapers when Beyond Thunderdome <laughs> came out. But uh, yeah, no, um, Junkie XL is one to watch. Do you know that bit to it? The, uh, the, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of distorted bells. Yeah, it reminded me of the beginning of Beat It. Thank you guys very, very much for coming on. And thank you guys for listening. We will be back next week with something. Oh, by the way, folks, we're about to review, and this is actually we did review ages ago, both more of the more recent Punisher movies. That's the one with Tom Jane and the one with, um, what was his name? Uh, Ray, Stevenson. Ray Stevenson, yeah. And both, both Ghost Rider movies, oh. back to back. All on one podcast of basically the Marvel dregs. Like the last Marvel films we haven't yet reviewed. We get them all done in one go. I don't know if we mentioned Elektra. But yeah, that, that's coming soon. And we'll have that out in time for the new Deadpool show on Netflix. <laughs> Yay! Deadpool <laughs> season two. Have you seen who they've got for The Punisher in this one? Frank. Oh no, it's not Frank Grillo. It's, it's, no, it's, it's Shane. It's Shane. Yeah, yeah, it's Shane. The horrible man that I hate. So it'll be good. Good, good. <laughs> I don't, I don't hate the actor, just uh, he's, he's only ever played a horrible person I couldn't wait to die. Um, mm-hmm. And took ages to do so. Cool. Right, um, that's been it for us. We will see you guys next week. And I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. out. This is a different kind of superhero story. X-Go, give it to you. Fuck, wait for you to get it on your own. X-Go, deliver to you. Knock, knock, open up the door, it's real. With the non-stop pop out and stainless steel. Go hard getting busy with it. But I got such a good heart that I make a motherfucker wonder if you did it. Damn right, and I do it again. Cause yeah. I am life, so I got to win. Break bread with the enemy. No matter how many cats I break bread with, I break who you sending me. You motherfuckers never want to know what your life saved. Bitch, and that's for the life day I'm getting down, down, 
like a nigga said freeze But won't be the one ending up on his knees Bitch, please If the only thing you can't steal was came out the play Stay out my way, motherfucker First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll Then we let it pop, don't let it go what? X gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya X gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll Then we let it pop, don't let it go he gon' give it to ya, ex gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya He ain't never gave nothing to me But every time I turn around, cats got their hands out, wasn't something from it I ain't got it, so you can't get it Let's leave it at that, cause I ain't with it Hit it with full strength I'm a jail nigga, so I face the world like a girl in the bullpen You against me, me against you Whatever, whenever, nigga, fuck you gon' do I'm a wolf in sheep clothing Only nigga that you know who can chill Come back and get the streets open I've been doing this for 19 years Niggas wanna fight me, fight these tears I put in work and it's all for the kids But these cats done forgot what work is They don't know who we be looking But they don't know who they see, nigga First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll Then we let it pop, don't let it go X gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya X gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll Then we let it pop, don't let it go Hey yo, where my niggas at? I know I got them down in the green. Give them love and they give it back. Talk too much for too long. Don't give up, you're too strong. Love to the wild, wild hunters. Shout out to niggas that done it. And it ain't even about the dough. It's about getting down for what you stand for, yo. For real. We gonna rock, then we gonna roll, then we let it pop. He gon' give it to ya, ex gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll Then we let it pop, don't let it go Ex gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya, ex gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll Then we let it pop, don't let it go Ex gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya, ex gon' give it to ya, he gon' give it to ya Like an avocado had sex with an older avocado. Thank you.